0: This is the Matt Townsend Show.
1: Your guide on the side.
0: Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter.
2: At
1: Dr. Matt Show.
0: Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU.
1: This is the Matt Townsend Show.
0: Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU
3: Radio.
4: Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the program. Happy Friday to you and December 1st. Thank you. We made it. Thank you. Oh, man. You made it to December, which means now you can play your music. Yeah, <laughs> you can play your funky Christmas music now. Play that funky Christmas music.
5: <laughs>
4: <laughs> that was horrible. <laughs> no, that was really good, man. Uh, got a great show for you. Terry and Jeff are here as well. The gang is gathered. It's Friday, which means also in about uh, two hours, you'll get a chance to get even more of Jeffrey Liam Simpson. Well, the crowd really yeah. filled wow. up. It's really great. I don't know where they all came from. It seemed so quiet when I got here. I've never seen an audience that could fade their applause so well, too. No. A lot of audiences don't know how to fade. Right. Uh, but uh, apparently ours really do.
6: What's the capacity in the studio? Isn't there a fire code?
4: There is. But I think I guess we broke it because that had to have been like 500 people right there.
6: Well, mm-hmm. we didn't want to turn anybody away. <laughs>
5: I mean, just try looking into their faces oh, and trying to Those turn them sad away. Little
4: puppy, dog. Well, Hope they don't call the fire marshal. they will shut us down. Shh, shh! Don't say anything. I think the fire marshal listens to the show. Oh, okay. <laughs> Hello, sir. Hello, or ma'am. So good to have you with us. We got a great show today. We've got a lot to talk about. Um, we will be getting into are Russians the biggest threats to our threat to our, or threat to our um, democracy? Absolutely. I mean you would think so based on the news. <laughs> apparently, yeah. <laughs> apparently, yeah, the answer is yes. Uh according to the news, Russians are the biggest threats. But are they really? Mm-hmm. Or or is it just maybe it's sexual harassment? Well, yeah, that might be, be a huge be. threat to the democracy. That's what we're hearing a lot about as well. The or, powerful American male, apparently. Apparently, yeah. exactly. Is, yeah. or is it the Russia or is it uh is it our voting machines? Or is it Have Haywire or? again? Yeah. Those are all... Oh, man. In fact, they can't be trusted, according to our president, (sighs) except he got elected. (laughs) So uh, you can't (laughs) trust him, but you can't trust him. So confusing. It's so confusing. Um, Or is it just simply the fact that our Congress, men and women, have all uh, gerrymandered all the districts, so...
6: Or have we self-gerrymandered? Ooh, are we self-gerrymandering? I listened to a podcast this week, kind of... Going into the whole gerrymandering discussion. Yeah. And it's like, yes, you have politicians, whoever happens to run the state legislature trying to set up districts to help them out. But we also self-gerrymander by moving next to and near like-minded people. Yeah. Across the country, you have pockets of people and they all right. kind of vote Just the same big, way.
4: Yeah. big. I like to call them globs.
6: Yeah. <laughs> Globs that and so glom. you have these two forces working together, and then someone's got to figure out if something's fair or not. Actually, the Supreme Court will be hearing a case on this here in the next few weeks. This is crazy. But,
4: I mean, are we, are we supposed to just go live next to a bunch of people we don't relate to? I Sure. I mean – They have several not, in our neighborhood. It's not, that's not usually how you go looking for a house. Right. I mean, I don't even go looking for a house. I'd like to live next to a lot of like-minded people. I don't you don't think that way either. <laughs> yeah. You just it just but, works out that way. Well, yeah, you just kind of know where you want to live and that's where your people are. Right,
6: air, air quotes. Boy. In in your it's case, horrible. it's where's the most organic food stores. <laughs> yeah. You're like, mm, there's only three in this neighborhood. Yeah. I don't know if this is quite true Because I love organic food. No, I think you just like paying a lot
5: for your food. You yeah. know
4: what? Neither of those statements are true. Because it's just food. <laughs> That's why I like uh, fast food. Oh, it's really? It's fast and it's cheap. Wow. And it just goes through you like a rocket. But yours has hmm. kale. No, it doesn't. Yeah, you do. Kale is not healthy.
6: No, not at all. No. It doesn't even taste good. It was a garnish, right? Back in the day. That's the idea. It was the thing on the salad bar yeah. that decorated it. Remember yeah. that? That covered the ice. Yeah, it, was a, it was a good time. <laughs>
5: what is it that, that they put on your plates when you go to restaurants and your parents are always, oh, don't eat that. Don't eat that. Parsley? Parsley. Yeah. That's the one. Now The parsley I would eat. Really? Yeah. The wow. kale? No way. You would eat parsley over yeah. kale. I like parsley, sage, rosemary, and thyme. Rosemary and thyme, that's
6: also a show. It's also a song. My son has a mm. rule. If it's green, don't eat it. Yeah, it's a good rule. Rules to live by right there. My son did that too. He was eating a <laughs> chicken pot
4: pie and picked out all of the peas right. and just left them in a heap. And then my grandbaby's like, I'll eat those. And hmm. yet
5: kids don't, they don't follow that rule if it comes out of their nose
4: because that's green. Ew. Okay. Wow. Uh. <laughs> There's the direction. <laughs> he took that dark, didn't he? <laughs> hey, uh, also, interesting story uh, out of... In San Francisco, that the female, yes, the the whole what's it called? Uh, Sanctuary city, sanctuary city situation. President Trump made a really big deal about sanctuary cities that protect uh, illegal um, immigrants into the United States. There was a Mexican man there that was charged with shooting uh, a female.
6: um, It was Kate Steinle. Kate Steinle, and in the end, 2015, he was he was acquitted last night. He had been deported Mm. four or five times. And he got a hold I went and looked because I'd heard bits and pieces of this, but I didn't know the exact story so there this uh this man from Mexico, his attorney said that he found the gun, which he had been stolen a few days earlier from a federal ranger uh nearby Ooh. in a nearby parked car they He took the gun and he was he said like unwrapping it, it, it I thought something, and it discharged yeah, he was
4: unwrapping it was like covered in a like a like I don't know, like a handkerchief or something. He unwrapped
6: right. it and then it discharged. It discharged, ricocheted off a wall uh-huh. or something, and then hit her. Right, and that—that's how his—that's that yeah, his, his story. Yeah. Now, prosecution said that he he purposely pointed and shot and killed her. Right. but they couldn't establish the intent. Well, and, and, and he doesn't yeah. know. What was her. The, and he they and there was a ricocheted bullet. Yeah, so and I'm guessing, if it was a
4: ricocheted bullet, it probably wasn't the gun pointed at you. Right, and no witnesses. Apparently not enough. And then there was gun residue on his hand, but not a lot, which kind of supports the story that his hand was half covered by something. So a
6: jury... Acquitted him. Acquitted him. And then President Trump... Now, he's going to walk out of... probably walk out of that courthouse, be picked up by ICE and deported. Yeah. Right? For the sixth Fifth or sixth time. And President Trump is calling this murder. Ted Cruz is coming out saying things. And it's... I don't Uh, know. What do you do? Or
4: is this just... Is this just what happens in a sanctuary city that Mm. won't fulfill the law? Was this more a political thing or was this about following the truth? Uh, Anyway, more discussion about that. So, lots to cover there. Let's get to the headlines with Terry South. Terry, what else should we be paying attention to?
6: Senate Republicans are scrambling to rewrite their tax overhaul legislation on Thursday night after Senators Bob Corker and Jeff Flake and Ron Johnson almost voted to send the bill back to the Finance Committee. The three deficit hawks voted to move forward with legislation, however, even though the Senate's parliamentarian ruled that the bill could not include a so-called trigger mechanism that the senators were pushing for. That provision would have mitigated the 1.5 trillion addition to the federal deficit over the next 10 years by triggering tax hikes if economic growth projections are not met. So the whole point of this is that yeah, the reports are showing that all the an- analysis is showing that this tax bill will raise the n- the debt. Yeah, and but but all the supporters of the tax bill are saying that the economic growth that will come because of the taxes will cause this uh, this growth to, or the what uh, the debt to be mitigated. So right? so they're so, not so they they don't allow trigger. So what they're saying is if that economic growth doesn't happen, then but, we're going to put a trigger in that will raise taxes. But uh, the parliamentarian says we can't do that. Can't do that so it's not in the senate rules. So these and they're saying unless it's less it's in there we're not voting for it. And they're not. Yeah. So the Senate was set to continue debating the legislation into Thursday night, but the next roll call vote scheduled for this morning is the legislation undergoes potential changes, so it's all in flux. Yes. People don't want the tax overhaul to raise the debt. Right. No, they that... want they want this trigger mechanism so if it raises the debt, we have tax hikes. And they, Make they, a they really need this
4: to pass soon because
6: They've got a big election next year. Do you know what this is just like? What? The sequester. Because there's this sequester situation they always talk about in Congress. It's limiting budgets and everything. And that was... It shut down government. It shut down government for a while. And it was the same kind of trigger concept where we don't meet these goals. We're going to make huge cuts. Yeah. And people don't like that. So that's why everyone's kind of freaking out.
5: Hey, Terry, wasn't that, I'm sorry, wasn't that a show on WGN Sequest? No. Terry? Oh, Um, there was Sequest, I'm sorry.
6: There was uh, another little bit of this whole plan is that the companies that get their tax, you know, the business, they're going to cut the business tax. Yeah. They're going to bring all that money back and it's going to be Josh. Sure. People, Nothing but they're jobs. just going to build buildings and new jobs, Money, more you know. just pouring over. Most major companies, including Cisco, Pfizer, Coca Cola, say they'll turn over most of those gains from proposed corporate tax cuts to their shareholders, undercutting President Donald Trump's promise that his plan will create jobs and boost wages for the middle class. Bloomberg reports the President has held fast to his pledge, even as top executives comment. Uh, have, the comments have encountered this for months. Instead of hiring more workers and raising their pay, many companies say they'll first increase dividends or buy back their own shares. Well, but okay, so it may not get jobs through businesses,
4: but right. what it'll do is create jobs because there'll be demand because all these rich people will be out shopping
6: No, with all of their money. The, C, the Cisco CFO Kelly Kramer said on November 16th, we'll be able to get much more aggressive on a share buyback program. So, they'll just buy more of their shares and then sh- just stock the money away in their company. Yes.
4: Well, that's not going to help. There
6: was a meeting with the, the guy that runs, is one of uh, President Trump's budget guys, sitting in a meeting with all these CFOs. And he goes, by a raise of hands, who's going to you know, hire more people, give raises to your employees? And like two hands went up of 30 guys sitting there. Wow. Those two guys are cool, (laughs) (laughs) and he goes, "Why aren't there more hands up? What's going on? What's happening here?" You know, business. Matt Lauer's lawyers are trying to secure a thirty million dollar payout for the disgraced former Today Show anchor, which would almost would amount to the payment in full for the remaining year and a half on his contract, according to Page Six. They are currently looking at his contract and determining whether the claims against him, which which clearly would affect any moral clause in his contract and his ensuing termination will cut off his contractual rights to be paid through the end of the contract. Yeah. So should he get his money, Matt? You're a lawyer. No. And they're also saying that uh, there have been plenty of complaints to NBC about certain behavior, and they went unhurt. Yeah. No, that's totally true. So now they'll go after all those people that uh, didn't do anything about it. Right. Well. Right. Well, that's the other thing. The guy that runs NBC News, I believe... Uh, he's only been in there a year and a half, and if you hear all the official statements, it says current management was unaware. Okay, sure. <laughs> House Democratic Minority Leader Nancy Pelosi called on Representative John Conyers to re- resign on Thursday following a host of sexual misconduct allegations. This after, of course, she fumbled this whole concept over the weekend. Yeah. Saying he was an icon. And he's an icon. He's done all this great stuff, and everyone's like, what? also She also said that we've never heard from these women. So how do we know what's going on? No, even though she knows full well that they have signed non-disclosure statements. And finally, there is a situation at the White House. Yeah. Uh, White House work order request obtained by uh, uh, DC uh, Washington, D.C. news station uh, NBC News 4 revealed a number of intimate details about the first family and their quarters there in oh, D.C. nice. Some like Melania Trump requested a large screen TV, something bigger well, to watch in there. Ray, who the want Oval that? Office bathroom needed a new toilet seat. These are some things that have been revealed. It must with work be gold. But there's one major takeaway about the man- managing the historic building, that it's uh, you can't be squeamish about pests. Uh-oh. To start, there are mice, which reportedly got cozy in the Situation Room and in the Navy Mess food hall. Uh, it's a cafeteria there. And more traps they spotted, mice running in small and big dining rooms. One request read another alarming request, implored someone. This is on caps. It says, please pick up the dead mouse. Oh, wow. Uh, Apparently, the location was Mike Pence's West Wing office, the vice president. Uh, Cockroaches are also a problem at the White House with at least four infestations reported in the work request orders. There are the ants, treat for ants in the West Wing first floor offices, especially in the main entrance and small offices, the order said. Another simply conveyed the urgency in all caps. It said ANTS. (laughs) Fix it. (laughs) You know, it's interesting.
4: They have the same problems the rest of us do. You know, mouse here and there, yeah. ants every once in a while, mm. a toilet seat that needs to be replaced, roaches, roaches. <laughs> I mean, yeah, you'd think that they didn't have to go through that, but then it is a federal building, yeah. And you also, um, uh, it's it probably isn't up to his standard. Oh, of course.
6: So, the end of the article said, "There's no word on if Trump Tower suffers from any of this, but I doubt they do. There's too much gold. Yeah, when you put gold leaf in, the mice know that that's not their. Yeah, they, they know they their don't neighborhood, So there. they move on. Yeah. They just
4: move to the apartment downstairs, right below the Trump suite. <laughs> wow. Well, we wish them the best of luck. I don't remember. Um, I don't remember hearing that many complaints when Obama was in there.
6: No. Hmm."
4: I mean, but like the whole White House. One reason, there's probably crumbs everywhere because they work all day now, and it, all night. It,
6: it could be simply they remodeled. Remember how President oh, yeah. Trump had to Once leave for a while? you do that, you scatter the you, – you, you disturb yeah. everyone living in the walls. It's, it's everyone, better yeah. to leave them where they are. Yeah. It's yeah. their own fault.
4: They, they decided to you know, do the air conditioning. As a kid, summer. I got really good at catching mice. I was a hunter, hmm. and my mom would send me on the hunt, and so I'd hunt sh- down mice.
6: Should they have a White House cat? President yeah.
4: Trump does not have any pets. If he had a cat, they could have a built-in. Uh, well, yeah, then they'd have something that could, you know, catch a mouse and then eat it a little bit and then leave it half dead in the middle of the could leave Oval presents. Office.
6: He could leave presents. Yeah, it'd be great.
4: <laughs> That's sad, but cool. Hey, uh, they're just like the rest of us. Uh, sad story. Um, if, you're, uh, if you love The Andy Griffith Show, Jim Neighbors, singer, actor, Gomer Pyle, passed away.
7: Shazam!
4: <laughs> he was great. I grew up with Gomer. Gomer was like my my uncle, Uncle Gomer. He could fix anything. Not really, but he could pick, <laughs> he could pick up the car and then spend days trying to fix it. <laughs> well, Andy and the rest of the people in Mayberry oh! showed you know showed some hospitality. Jim Neighbors dead at eighty seven years old. Favorite Jim Neighbors moment?
6: Right there. Shazam. That's all I ever remember him from.
5: Golly. That's a good ripe age. Pardon? 87.
4: Ripe? Sure. I don't know if that's the proper way to respect.
5: Ripe for the picking from life, I guess? (laughs) For mortality?
4: Yeah. That's a good way to put it. Uh, He also appeared in such uh, films as the The Best Little Whorehouse in Texas, Stroker Ace, if you remember those. Yes. He's in the Hollywood Haka uh, – fame. <laughs> Haka? <laughs> Hollywood,
6: Haka? Hollywood Haka fame. He did – he, he was in Hawaii when he died. Was oh, he? That's where he lived. That's a good place to so – Sure. The Haka
4: being the Haka. culturally relevant The Hawaiian there. Haka fame. Yeah. Uh, he's been a busy guy. He's also a singer. Remember he played uh, Gomer Pyle? He was in the Marine Corps. He had his own show there. What a guy. Um. There's a lot of, uh, in fact, uh, there's Ron Howard's father died. <gasps> Are you serious? Yeah. What's his Rance, name? Rance Howard? Howard died? I hadn't heard that. Yeah, you might want to read the news. Yeah. Once wow. Another. Rance Hy- Howard died too. So he's in all his films. Yeah. He's got like a little bit part in all those. And films. And you can totally see Ron Howard and his father. Oh yeah. Yeah. And Rance, that's an interesting name. Do you think? Rance. 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 That's like Reince. Um – Cool. Anything else we need to be paying attention to? There's just a lot of kind of detailed news stories. Apparently Michael Flynn, according to CNN, is about to be charged or is being charged with making a false statement to the FBI.
6: I just saw what was the notice I had. He's going to be uh, there's a plea hearing. Oh, wow. So it's moved beyond like just preliminary. It's a plea hearing. So they're going to go in and (laughs) And say what they do. Guilty, not guilty. Right. What's he going to. mean, yeah. And I guess that's
4: probably fairly easily verifiable. If he is or here's, not, here's the false statement. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> under oath, that was the statement. Here's what I said. Obviously, I lied. Remember, this is what uh, and the what they do though. It seems like is the FBI now would get him on this charge, and then now, then they kind of know they've got him, right? And then he knows he's been gotten, and then
6: they kind of squeeze him. Oh, this is as the reports have said numerous times. They're doing this. This same, they're approaching this the same way they go after organized crime. You get the small guys, and you flip as you move up the chain of command. Yeah. You flip this guy to go on this yeah, guy and keep but moving. no one's going to flip higher than Flynn. There is a liberal fever dream that he will, so let it yeah. go, Matt. Let <laughs> <President>, it happen.
5: <laughs> President Clinton lied under oath. You see,
4: that's the, again, that could be a charge. Right? And he got off scot-free. Was it, it was under oath. Yeah, that was just under oath to God and the country. Right. This is to the FBI. Yeah, it's oh. different. This is... So they're the higher power this then? This is higher than
6: God and country <laughs> thing. Also, uh, what... Could, but 10 days ago, yeah. there was a story about two Border Patrol agents. Yeah. One died, one was injured somehow, but the initial report said he was attacked. President Trump has said uh, there's a murder and an attack. We're going to figure out who did this. Get gov- those walls up. The go- Put up the walls. Governor of Texas has uh, like a $200,000 reward to find out who uh, attacked these two Border Patrol yeah. agents. But they can't rule out that they may have just fell down as cement... Kind of one of those uh, canal uh, gully type thing, but it was cemented in and they may have just tripped and fell down and hit their head because they cannot find the proof that there was an attack. But they can't disprove it either because they were out there by themselves and they're just trying to look at all the evidence. Mm. After 10 days, one guy's dead, one guy's in the hospital. They're not sure exactly what happened. Yeah. And, but and but everyone's yeah. jumped to their own conclusions depending on what side of the wall you're on. And remember, that's the big lesson here is that we can choose any truth
4: we want, right? We So we, we talked about that the other day, that it doesn't matter. You will vote for somebody that you think is lying as long as they're going to vote your way. Mm-hmm.
6: So – and I don't know how you'd believe they're going to vote your way because they're liars. Have, but, you, have you seen the Jimmy Kimmel – you were talking about the other day down with Roy Moore. Yeah. He sent his guy down there to kind of –
7: Oh, yeah. Cause problems.
6: Star- yeah. <laughs> really funny video. But it does kind of show you that, that people are just going to vote the way they want to vote. And we're going to see it the way we want to see it. Right.
4: Apparently, Flynn pled guilty.
6: Today? To Already? To lying to the wow. FBI. Oh, wow. All right. right.
4: Moving along. Yeah. Or he's going. Uh, Flynn is expected to plead guilty for lying to the FBI. He has a hearing hmm. at 1030 a.m. So in a few minutes. So what are the well, consequences going to be? I don't know. But no matter what it is, he's going to be talking a lot more to the FBI, apparently. So if he's pleading guilty,
5: there is some sort of a – they've come to some sort of a compromise or a a It might be. We had
4: had multiple charges, but we won't do it unless you plead guilty to this one count, and then that makes it so It'll, It'll be interesting how President Trump responds. Yeah. In fact, he'll be tweeting, by the way, from his
6: new toilet seat. Apparently. What? I don't know that the, he'll be
4: on but he, he got a new toilet.
6: That was the work order from the NBC News station in D.C. They found is the Oval Office bathroom needed a new toilet. It's right there. Oh, oh they,
4: they better pass that thing through security. That, that doesn't sound like a toilet at all. Hey, up next, we're going to be talking about two big problems with American voting that uh, may have nothing to do with Russian hacking. So we're all caught up in the Russia thing, but maybe there's some other problems uh, when it comes to our voter system that we, we ought to be paying attention to. That's straight ahead on the Matt Townsend Show. Over the past year, the public discussion on election security and integrity has focused on concerns about foreign meddling in the United States elections. The evidence is still coming in about which countries did what to influence both the public and the election itself. And here to discuss other problems we may be having with our own voter uh, voting system is uh, Dr. Sasha Meinroth, and he is um, he is the Palmer Chair in Telecommunications at Penn State, and the director of X Lab, which is an innovative think tank focusing on the intersection of vanguard technologies and public policy. Sasha, thank you so much for being with us today. Pleasure, Matt. This um, we we do. We hear so much talk about Russia, 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 and I mean, I guess we're finding out that uh, you know they were they did do some pretty crazy social media work, and I know we'll get into that as well today. But um, is, is Russia our biggest problem when it comes to uh, voter security, voter safety, and some of our voting issues?
8: Yeah. So, I mean, Russia's become sort of the all-around boogeyman, uh, even though its effects at best are relatively modest Uh, But the evidence is really still out. We haven't seen the evidentiary trail showing what meaningful impact, what statistically significant impact it's actually had on the election. I would say what Russia is better as is sort of a bellwether, that this is the direction we are headed. In the meantime, however, we have huge problems here at home in terms of voter disenfranchisement, in terms of gerrymandering, in terms of other facets of our elections that do statistically significantly affect election results in ways that are inherently less democratic than they could be.
4: Mm. It's so true. And um, yet we then hear, you know, that uh, there's voter fraud at the at, uh, election sites. And President Trump has made a big deal about voter fraud, voter fraud, voter fraud. What does the real data say about that, about actually, you know, false ballots and, and things like that going on?
8: So there have been some systematic studies of voter fraud, and they have found, in fact, that there has been voter fraud. But it's measured in to the tune of several dozen, several dozen people,
4: several dozen, like (laughs) 24, (laughs) 34, 36
8: millions, you know, tens of millions of voters. And so in that regard, one can't say there's been zero. Right. But you can say that it's had no meaningful impact on the election. Interesting. And that's a really important distinction to make.
4: Well and we and so we that's interesting. There may have been 36 people that committed voter fraud compared to um, the fact that we may have disenfranchised many others and gerrymandered districts. Talk to us about some of these other uh, things. Talk just maybe get get us into the gerrymandering issue which a lot of people may not really understand what's happening as they're dividing up districts and redividing.
8: Sure. So, right. So in it used to be that Every time we did a census, in fact, one of the key reasons why we do this every 10 years, we do this census, is to figure out how many people live in the United States, and then we used to add new people in the House of Representatives. So if you look historically, the House of Representatives kept growing as our population grew. And the idea was that we wanted to have one house that was sort of representing states, that's the Senate, and one house that was representing local, local people local ideas, local constituencies, and that was the House of Representatives. In 1929, we stopped that. We artificially capped the number of representatives at 435. And because of that, the ratio of people to our elected officials has increased dramatically uh, from when the country was founded, about 30,000 to one, to today it's about 800,000 to one. The end result of this is that instead of having many small uh, localities, small representative districts, we have much larger ones. And what, when you look at the map of these, these districts, they are beginning to look increasingly crazy. I mean, it does look <laughs> like my three-year-old daughter drew some of these things to some extent. And the, the idea of gerrymandering, of carving out these districts in order to favor one party or the other right this is not a left or a right issue this is about disenfranchising people on both sides of the equation because that would make sense
4: yeah what is the end result
8: so the end result has been that we the people of the united states are less well represented by our representatives both because the numbers have been artificially held down but also because our districts often are drawn in order to concentrate both Democrats and Republicans. Hmm. And in so doing, we actually have much less civil debate, which we're seeing, of course, but we also have less sort of of a compact constituency. So here where I am right now in State College, Pennsylvania, I am in a district with people in the entire northwest quadrant of Pennsylvania. A huge area, yeah. which means that there's almost no way for me to know. There's no way to really have a town hall yeah, how do you do amongst that? our constituencies and to hash out the issues that we have purposeful you know, disagreements on. Do
4: you, do you think – I mean and I, like you're saying, it works both ways. Um, mm-hmm. So you could be a Republican – That was somehow, you know, drawn into a very Democratic um, district or a Democrat in a Republican district. And then do you think this is what's leading to some of the contention where we uh, because how frustrating would that be to never have your voice heard in your own district and then have your district representative not even really represent you?
8: That's right. And even worse than that, what you end up with are districts where there's no meaningful ability to challenge the incumbent. Yeah. they are districts that are always going to be Republican, districts that are always, they're drawn this way, to always be for one party or the other. And because of that, we really lose out. In fact, the loyalty then becomes to party, not to representing your constituency. Hmm. And that, again, is a real problem, it's a problem for democracy. And the interesting thing is, when the Founding Fathers drew up our original Bill of Rights, the First Amendment, the one that never got passed, was all about this issue, was all about ensuring that the House of Representatives was more representative. And if you read this original document, you find that they were saying, like, look, want to start at like 30,000 to 1, 30,000 voters to one representative. And as the population grows, we may swell that to about 50,000. Hmm. And if we did that, if we if we adhere to that original intent, then we'd have a House of Representatives not of 435 people, but something like 5 or 6,000. And oh, at wow. that point, you would have a local representative, yeah, one who you knew personally, who knew what your issues were, and who represented you and your ideas far better than what we have today.
4: Now, um, the gerrymandering, it also seems right now or recently to be favoring Republicans more than Democrats. Is that true?
8: It is. And if you look historically, it's always favored the party that has been in power during the year of the census. So for decades, it favored Democrats. Now it favors Republicans. I will say because our statistical analyses have gotten so much better in recent years, that in some ways the gerrymandering has become worse, less representative, hmm. that, they, that, they, that they, the districts are being drawn in ways that are even more discriminatory. But the reality is both parties have engaged in gerrymandering and it is inherently created to to disempower the other party.
4: Yeah. No, I, we, I see it in Utah, um, where we we used to have a more liberal district that was kind of the, the majors, or Salt Lake City, kind of more of the, the metropolis Salt Lake City area. But now, like you said, they've drawn these lines that transect the entire state. And now mm-hmm. somebody has to represent not just... Metropol, the metropolis of Salt Lake but also all of the rural areas all the way down to the south end of uh, the state and it's it it doesn't they all we all have I don't have grazing issues in my <laughs> neighborhood and you know I don't right. have uh, water right issues in my neighborhood but my 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 representative needs to focus on that talk about how um how we also might be disenfranchising minorities
8: absolutely so as it turns out there is as you become richer you have more resources more ability to do things like get your id right that you can take time right. off of work and and go to the dmv and get things renewed and things of that sort that that wealth and ability to get all of your official documents in order are correlated and because of that as we make our requirements stricter and stricter as we go from you know, just demonstrating that you are a resident to having to have specific documentation and et cetera, that this detrimentally impacts the poor. And as we know in the United States, the poor positively correlate with being a minority. And so what seems to be a fairly, you know, a fairly equitable idea that we're going to require, you know, two forms of ID or a photo ID or, you know, whatever components are necessary ends up, whether inadvertently or purposefully huh. disenfranchising the less wealthy amongst us.
4: Oh. And and again, like yeah, intentionally or unintentionally, nonetheless, some people just have a harder time getting their ID. How and, right. uh, and, and
8: the real problem here is not that you know these voter laws exist, but that the impact of Voter ID laws is to disenfranchise more legal residents, right? One person, one vote doesn't say one person with an idea, ID, one vote. The function of this is that if you are a citizen of the United States, you have a right to vote once you turn 18. Right. And when we disenfranchise legal voters more than we stop voter fraud, well, then the end result is a net negative, a net negative for the functioning of a participatory democracy.
4: Hmm. And so because I can hear the argument that so you just want to let people commit fraud. But I guess the data is showing uh, we've yeah we've caught 36 people committing fraud
8: on a national scale. That's right. So, if, if, so it's if not we a huge seeing, issue. That's right. If we were seeing a major issue and this was addressing that and the end result was we are stopping more fraud. Then we're disenfranchising legal voters. I'd be all for it, right? Because but I follow the data, and I think yeah. I think most people do wish to follow the data.
4: Do you have a number the on how many we're disenfranchising through this uh, through some of these requirements of more ID and?
8: Well, so there have been a number of studies, but the absolute lowest number I've seen is in the hundreds of thousands.
4: Oh wow! And because again, we sit there and we think, well, sure, yeah. I mean, you ought to have ID, did? to be able to vote, but you don't realize how that really might affect certain communities in this country. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Does, and again, there's kind of, you, you want to assume maybe everyone's just trying to be good people, and but there are people intentionally trying to disenfranchise and keep people out of the booth.
8: Yes. So that is the more nefarious facet of this. People who are purposefully working, whether on the left or the right, uh, to disenfranchise their opponents. Mm. And that to me is maybe one of one of the lesser ethical elements of all this and it shouldn't be ignored. But honestly I think most people, most most US folks really do want to have a functioning representative participatory democracy. The problem is that we are living in an environment where the propaganda the concern about fraudulent voting has been so highly elevated that people believe there to be a major crisis of voter fraud hmm. that is simply not borne out by the actual data.
4: Wow. Uh, again, we're speaking with Sasha Meinroth, who is the Palmer Chair in Telecommunications at Penn State, also the director of X Lab, which is an innovative think tank focusing on the intersection of vanguard technologies and public policy. And uh, Professor Meinrath, as you as you look at this and have researched this, I mean, there's other technology that's being used now with uh, with these districts that are so, um, I guess, you know, perfectly drawn up to have the voter base you want. It also seems like with a little targeted social media, you really can win a district at a time.
8: Uh, You know, it's. this, this, to me, is one of the funny elements of the whole fear of Russia. So, you know, it has come out that Russia maybe has spent about a half a million dollars, $500,000 on social media, and there's nothing to sneeze at. But your average super PAC, of which we have hundreds in the United States, is spending an order of magnitude more. Yeah. And so, the, again, like, it's not that this phenomenon doesn't exist. It's just that it's a drop in the bucket and, you know, you and I certainly remember, and many of your listeners will remember, you know, like swift boat ads oh, yeah. around John Kerry. Yeah. Like, this is not a new phenomenon. And in fact, when you look at the history of telecommunications, communications theory, we have long been writing about the concerns of unrestrained propaganda on democracy, so much so that in 1948... The U.S. passed a series of laws to protect us. You know, this is right after World War II, right after witnessing the power of the Nazi propaganda machine. We passed laws to say, look, there has to be some check and balance on unrestrained propaganda so that we, the citizenry, are informed and can make informed decisions. Mm. And unfortunately, we have systematically rolled that back. And so now it's no wonder that we are now facing the kinds of problems that people have long theorized would arise the only uncertainty is really how will we address this in a meaningful way
4: yeah what suggestions do you have for us as just you know average folk
8: (laughs) i mean obviously we have to become more critical consumers of the media that we we consume i mean there's there's no way that we can now take at face value a lot of the things that come across our Twitter feeds and Facebook walls. We have to verify. And in many ways, we follow the same kinds of scientific methodology of researchers, which is track things back to their primary source, identify whether the information you're gleaning is coming from a credible location or individual. And if we did that, I think we'd actually be far better off, because it turns out, in this game of telephony that often uh, (laughs) is rife in social media, that areas where there is great concern and agreement get changed into areas of great concern and vociferous, adamant disagreement. So true. (laughs) And so we end up, instead of being engaged in kind of a deliberative conversation and debate, we end up digging in into areas where we cannot see eye to eye, and again, I think that really undermines a functioning democratic society.
7: Yeah,
4: no, I totally agree. I think I think we gotta we've got to do something different. Sasha, thank you, thank you for your insight, for your great work, and uh, keep it up there at Penn State. Um, again, uh, Sasha Meinrath is the Palmer Chair in Telecommunications at Penn State and the Director of X Lab. Uh, there as well. So great insight. We've got we've to consume media, folks, with, uh, I guess, a little healthier dose of cynicism, not just that the, it's fake news, but go identify the source. Go dig deeper. Go look for more stories. Get out of your echo chamber. Do what you can to uh, actually be an active listener and learner of life. This is The Matt Townsend Show, helping you be the good in the world.
1: coach would have put me in fourth quarter we'd have been state champions because life doesn't come with a handbook you need a coach here's dr matt and his coaching corner
4: welcome back you know uh this week we, we've heard a lot of stories about um, you know sexual misconduct um issues going on with our legislators the election to be coming up soon in alabama and uh, my kids, I've actually had some interesting conversations with my children about what's going on, and I, a lot of them are like, "So, I mean, you know, didn't didn't this person didn't this person sexually harass somebody, and didn't this person say this, and what about this?" And so, what I found is, I I have to sit down with them and. And help them clarify a few rules because it seems like what we're doing in the press and in our politics is we're playing with – everybody's playing with different rules. And uh, I wonder if that's why we misspeak and we over-talk each other and no one listens is because uh, what I found is there's four different sets of rules that we can use to live our lives by, okay? One set of rules is we just do what comes natural. We just, we just do whatever we, whatever feels good for us. Eat, drink, and be merry, you know, survive, mate, have fun, avoid pain, maximize pleasure, do what's natural to you. And some people just live life, you know, that way, in a very just natural way. It's all about you and getting what you want. That's one level of living. Another level or standard of living is just do what everyone else is doing. So, you know, I may want to, you know, do what comes natural, but, you know... Ah, I don't know, but my friends do too, so I just do what my friends want to do. You, if we just live our lives by what everyone else is doing, then I guess, you know, in some ways it doesn't matter what our values and our principles are because I'm just going to follow the standard of everyone else. Now, another set of rules isn't what's natural and it's not what everyone else is doing. Some of them are just, we. all we try to do is just live the laws of the land. And a lot of people hold up the laws of the land as the highest form of, of human being that we can live, right? We're maximizing our life by living the laws of the land. And I just suggest I love the law. I love it. Live it as much, you know, live it, live it. It's part of your our responsibility here. But be careful because laws tend to change. Remember, there used to be a time where women didn't have the right to vote by law. They just didn't have that right. And uh, minorities, African-Americans were legally okay to be owned as slaves. So laws can also change. Um, But to me, there's a higher level than doing what's natural, doing what everyone else does, or just following the laws of the land. And what I'm trying to teach my kids is, it's time that we might want to live by a higher principle, uh, live by our conscience, let our conscience be our guide, try to do things that are moral. They may not always make you popular, I try to teach my kids. So right now, pushing back on some of the immorality that we see uh, going on might make us feel like, um, you know, we're, we're not as popular. It might be easier to just go along with the flow and do what everyone else is doing. But there is a higher standard and a higher level. And I found that once you start to realize how we're supposedly uh, living um, and don't – don't I shouldn't have to trust what people are saying about how they're living. I can see it in their life. And that's what we're seeing with a lot of these stories that are coming out is people were living supposedly one law, following the land or following the principle in their conscience of their heart, but we knew deep down what they were doing is just what comes natural. And we got to change. We got to be different on that tone, and we got to teach our children that you got to choose the rules you're going to live by, and I would suggest we push more principles and conscience. Uh, We'll continue the journey up next. Leanna Tan will give us a few life hacks. Life can throw us strange curveballs on a daily basis. You know, we might not be able to dodge all of them, but one of our producers, Leanna Tan, is going to give us a few tips and hacks on how we can beat life's everyday difficulties.
0: Remember the time when all you had to worry about was how to microwave SpaghettiOs and how you are going to have a Barbie prom night if you only had one Ken doll? And then your parents told you that one day you'd have to go out and discover the world and spread your wings eat more than just SpaghettiOs, and you thought, how will I ever do that? Well, that's where I am. I've come to that point. Now that I'm about to graduate from college and go off into the great big world all by myself, I figured it's time to stock up on some handy life skills. So I did a little researching and found this nifty article on brightside.me. I'm pretty sure it had everything I needed to know about surviving in the real world, these tips could probably save you a lot of trouble in life. So let me share them with you. Here are five handy life hacks. Number one, wilty flowers. Have you ever gotten a beautiful bouquet of roses only to have them look like someone ran over them with a lawnmower before you even get to your mother-in-law's doorstep? No one wants to show up with an armful of dead plants. And if you're on the receiving end, You want to be able to look at those perky blossoms for more than just a couple hours, right? The secret is aspirin. Apparently, that little tablet helps a flower's headache, too. Roses will live twice as long if you put half an aspirin in the water because it prevents water decay. Add a pinch of salt instead for daffodils, and vinegar for dahlias. Number 2 Grease Stains I thought these were the Achilles heel of my wardrobe. Remember, I had one right in the middle of a white turtleneck once. Quite the fashion faux pas, but I endured the social ostracism because I liked that sweater. Those little things are so deceptive. They look like such simple little blemishes, but never go away no matter how much you launder them. But never fear, the solution is simple. Salt. Just sprinkle a little on the stain as quickly as possible, wait, and shake. And the salt will absorb most of the grease. Now you can face society with dignity again. Number three: Burned pan. I'm pretty sure I'm that roommate. The one who jumps in the shower while simultaneously cooking fried rice on the stove only to emerge to a cloud of smoke, a chunky odor, and a blackened pan. But the least I can do now is boil some salt water. Hopefully I don't mess that one up, but sounds simple enough. You just add a few tablespoons of salt to water and boil for 15 to 20 minutes. Hm, but I guess it still doesn't fix my lunch of charcoal bits. Number 4. Breadcrumbs. I never really realized this was a problem, I just always assumed it was a fact of life. But my eyes have been opened. No longer do you have to waste 30% of your fluffy carbohydrate goodness to the kitchen floor. No longer do you have to chisel away at the 7-inch thick crust of grandma's homemade bread. The end to your crumbly days is here. All you have to do is dip your knife into boiling water before you make the cut and wipe it off. Simple as that. And number five. Bug bites. The bane of my existence. Did you know I carry a can of insect repellent in my purse wherever I go during the summer and that I apply it generously on any sliver of exposed skin before I exit my house and before I go to bed? And that I make a concentrated effort to avoid any form of stagnant water or lush foliage? Yes, this insect paranoia has controlled my life for over two decades. But today, my life was changed. There's a simple home remedy. Potatoes. You heard it right. Potatoes help bug bites itching, irritation, and inflammation. And also helps to moisturize them so they'll heal faster. Just take a small potato, wash it, cut it, And put the cut side down on your clean bug bite. But I guess this is a way to help heal them, not prevent them. So I'm going to need to stock up on a lot of little potatoes. (sighs) Well there. I guess I'm ready to venture off into the cold, dark abyss of the real world. I'll just arm myself with aspirin, salt, and mini potatoes. Who knew that was all you needed to survive in this world? Wish me luck, everyone. I'm Leanna Tan, and that's my little tangent. This is the Matt Townsend Show.
1: Your guide on the side.
0: Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter.
1: At Dr. Matt Show.
0: Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU.
4: This is the Matt Townsend Show.
0: Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio.
3: BYU Radio.
4: Good morning, friends, and happy Friday to you. Happy December 1st. It's time to turn the Christmas lights on if you haven't done that yet. If you haven't had enough social pressure, get your Christmas lights on and uh, also you can start playing Christmas music. I don't think I'm going to now. Now see now you're going to rebel. Yeah. You were rebelling last yesterday when we weren't supposed to be playing it according to my edict. At least wait till Star Wars. It's always and you always gauge it by Star Wars. Yep. Which I think most things in life need
5: to
6: be gauged by Star Wars.
5: Yeah. Well, Matt, during the break, just gauged things
4: by Johnny Carson. Yeah. Johnny Carson, I miss him. Life was easier back when Johnny Carson was around. Hmm. Didn't seem like we had all the problems we do now.
6: Is it, is it because we had less TV networks? <sighs> Probably.
4: <laughs> yeah, we didn't have the cable news. But no, I just happened to see uh, his, his $88 million mansion is on sale in Malibu. Oh, so I was who that, was living there before that. I don't know. But I was looking into it. I was thinking maybe I could just go do
6: that. I didn't realize it was 88 million. Oh, yeah. you were like, maybe this is in my budget. Realm I mean, now. it
7: looks.
4: Yeah, that was very Johnny Carson That was actually more uh, prices. Price right, right. What's his name? Uh, Bob, Bob Barker. Barker. No. I wonder where he lived. We'll look into that for you. My um, no idea. Yeah, I got no idea. Well, we got a lot to cover today. Uh, interesting guest as well um, about cyberbullying. You will not believe a certain percentage of cyberbullying, you will not believe who's doing it. The it's, Russians. It's And it's not the Russians. And it's not Trump.
8: <gasps>
4: it's not Trump. It's not the Russians. It's Ivanka. No, I don't know. No, it's... <laughs> I
8: knew it.
6: It's you could see it in her eyes. No, but oh, it,
4: it will blow your mind. It may be that a, a certain percentage um of the people that are being cyberbullied are actually being bullied by themselves. Hmm.
6: Yeah. Hmm. They like they set up accounts to uh-huh. c- attack themselves. Uh-huh. Huh. And it's a plea for help.
4: And we have a guest coming on talking about A lot of the people that are being cyberbullied have other issues, anxieties, depression, other pain, and Mm -hmm. they need some way to manifest it. And cyberbullying is one way to do it, either bullying another because they're in such pain or faking their own uh, bullying. Hmm. So
6: it's kind of the cyber version of masochism. Yeah. Wow. They kind of catfish themselves. They hurt them. They they kind of catfish
4: themselves. Mm. And what they're doing really is it's a plea for help. And so we're going to be talking about it that no matter what happens when there's a cyberbullying incident, you don't you don't need to turn back on them like, what are you doing? But understand, something's going on, and people need to be heard. And if they're not heard, they have to do this. And as parents, we need to spend more time paying attention to our kids. So we will be definitely getting into that subject. Now, this um, really
6: oversimplifies things, but wouldn't it be just be nice if they asked for help? Oh, my heavens. Okay, just – yeah. Pasting that out there, yeah, but you can't. Yeah, but I know mean, they're, they're
4: hurting, really, right? No, yeah. But that's yeah, that's. And the there's, problem. there's all kinds of psychological things it. they don't have, yeah, they don't have and the them. emotional ability to ask, or then there's just the shame, or maybe you've never made it safe to ask. You know, some hmm. parents are. We right. had a wonderful moment with my son yesterday uh, in a uh, what do they call him? A music recital. Uh, recital that kind of went sideways. Really? Oh wow! Yeah, and it, he was
5: devastated. Did he – was he the cause of it going
4: sideways? Uh, He just was doing his little performance and then got to that moment where he totally forgot where he was in the song.
1: Ooh. And
4: then kind of froze and then said, can I start over? And everyone kind of laughed and he started over and then he killed it, nailed it, but then he felt bad the rest of the night. Mm. So that happened to me in a recital.
5: I got – I was about 10 seconds into the little piano piece and uh, I forgot how to play it. So I looked at my piano teacher and she
4: was just shrugged her shoulders. Mm? So I started over and then I finished it. See, that's that's exactly what he did. So it, are you saying he's going to turn out like you? Ooh. Now hold on a minute. Oh boy. Do I, you are uh, you saying that's a good uh, thing or a bad thing? I see, I wasn't worried until now. Cuz
5: well, this whole week you've been saying rude things to me but then <laughs> saying afterwards, I mean that in the nicest way possible. Well,
4: how have I what's one rude thing I've said to you? Oh, goodness. I just told one
5: to my wife you last night. You can't even think about See, it. I'm, I'm taking it home with me. That's how much it's affecting it's me. It's not
4: rude, because I don't mean it that way.
6: <laughs> maybe maybe the, the connection between your son and Jeff's story is a cautionary tale. Right now, you can head this off of the past, Matt. Mm-hmm. You can change the possible future of your son. Yeah. deviate from the I end result you have at work I don't work want here. him working
4: on a radio show.
6: Maybe
5: you view <laughs> me as a son figure even though you're not that much older than me. You're, you're practically like a brother as far yeah. as the age difference but is concerned.
6: Let me just say
4: this. as
5: you're,
6: But um, like a really older brother.
5: Yeah, you'd be like my... I think you're the same age as my
4: oldest brother. Like To the
6: point where like the parents thought they were done with kids, and then, oops, we have another one, and Matt's over here driving a car. Right. Yeah. Yeah.
4: So let's say that I am your older brother. Um, Maybe it's time to shave. Wow. You're telling this to yourself? I'm telling this to you. Because you're you're looking a little scruffy
5: there yourself.
4: I'm the only one that is within the rules today. Apparently, you're the only one that can for razor.
5: Hey, we're the only ones going to see Star Wars with the rest of the employees. It's actually okay.
6: uh, mandatory. Don't drop it in the middle of the afternoon when you got to pick up your kids from school. Um, <laughs> not my fault.
4: Okay, that went <laughs> Well, totally we get a lot of truth out just now. now. It's good to get truth out every once in well, a while. We're just having a little group therapy session here. All right. Wow, very supportive room. It is Friday and it is my last hour hosting my show. And then next hour we turn the reins over to Jeffrey Liam Simpson Alleluia, Alleluia, Alleluia. and the Mormon Tabernacle Choir. Wow. And he'll, he will be uh, doing the show Screen Cleaning, which is a gift.
7: Alleluia, Alleluia,
6: Alleluia. Again, what's the capacity on this room? Because uh, the choir's got a couple like 50, 60. They're in the other studio. The exuders are amazing, too. Crazy. We've wired them in
8: here.
4: All right. So Jeff will be doing screen cleaning, where he's going to talk about screens and how to keep them clean. Wrong! It's a useful skill to know. It really is, especially there's so many so much disease nowadays. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyway, all that straight ahead, but first to the headlines with Terry South. Terry, what's going on?
6: Former National Security Advisor Michael Flynn has been charged with lying to federal investigators about his contact with former Russian Ambassador Sergei Kislyak. The documents for which were. Explosively made public on Friday, as this article reads. Flynn did willfully and knowingly make materially false, fictitious, and fraudulent statements and representations, Special Counsel Robert Mueller's team writes. Can't they just say he lied? No, you got to be What's very clear. What's with all clear. the colorful language? Very clear. That's why it's explosive. That's right. It's explosive. F- Flynn is expected to plead guilty this morning. He may already have. I haven't been able to confirm that through all the... Different news fees. He resigned as national security advisor less than a month after President Trump's inauguration for lying about his contacts with Russia. But so, okay, interesting. He's not he's not denying these. He's actually
4: going to plead guilty to this fact, Hmm. which means you don't have a trial. You just move to a sentence. Moving on. But then they'll probably have a recommendation for sentencing that would be lenient because
6: he's been cooperating. So, is this a sign that he's been
4: cooperating? Possibly.
6: Oh, my God. There's also that whole helping Turkey try to kidnap somebody from the U.S. to send back over there type of situation. Are we still going
4: to hold people accountable for alleged attempted kidnapping?
6: That was the report. We're not sure if actually Mueller's going to proceed with that. Yeah. That's an interesting story. Yeah, I'd rather just admit to lying than kidnapping. Kidnapping. Yeah, you think that would kind of escalate things. Senator John McCain of Arizona has been tight-lipped about the lead-up to the tax overhaul uh, vote. Tersely, Mm. telling the New York Times this week that a lot of things concerning that concern him about the bill. On Thursday, in the wake of many similarly hesitant Republicans announcing their support for the legislation, McCain at last confirmed that he is a yes. I believe this legislation, uh, though far from perfect, would enhance American competitiveness, boost the economy, and provide long, overdue tax relief for middle-class families. Woo! So, they're discussing things as we speak. They may do something today, they may do it Monday, or, you know. Maybe never. Who knows? We'll see what happens. President Donald Trump reportedly urged top lawmakers to end the congressional probe into the Russia election meddling. It was something along the lines of, I hope you can conclude this as quickly as possible, Senator Richard Burr, a Republican uh, chairman of the Senate Intelligence Committee, (laughs) told the New York Times. Burr said he told Trump that the probe will end when we have exhausted everybody we need to talk to. The probe will
4: end when we have
6: exhausted everyone
4: we need to talk to.
6: The Times also reports that Trump made similar overtures to Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell, Senator Roy Blount, Missouri, a Washington spokesperson, said Trump never attempted to apply undue influence in committee to committee yeah. members. So nothing happened. Nothing to see here. Nothing to see here. <laughs> Keep moving. U.S. State Department warned the White House of President Trump's Wednesday morning hey, retweets. by the way. Oh, yes. Go ahead.
4: Nothing to see here except one of your advisors that was over the NSA just pled guilty <laughs> to lying to the FBI.
6: Well, the NSC. NSC. Yeah, but everybody lies. There really is nothing to see there. Moving on. So Trump's tweets from earlier in the week. Yeah. He tweeted out three videos. They were anti-Muslim videos that he tweeted out. The U.S. State Department warned the White House that those anti-Muslim videos could spur violent protests at U.S. embassies in the Middle East. Uh, the embassies, which were already on high alert, were watchful for any violent reprisals throughout the day. though no incidents have been reported. The retweeted videos were first posted by a far-right group in Great Britain depicting Muslims appearing to commit various acts of violence wow. asked Thursday about President Trump's retweeting this week of three anti-Islam videos. Sarah Huckabee Sanders claimed the president was simply elevating the conversation. Oh, is that, is that, is that what we call that? Okay. <laughs> that's what she called it. I was like, that's, that's pretty good. So the conversation like must that. have really been Really bad. low. Yeah. Really low. And he helped it out quite a bit. Okay. Um, in Parliament in Great Britain, they're discussing whether to, uh, well... Certain members are trying to get the government to block President Trump from having an official visit. Oh. Because of this and everything else they find that he has done they don't like.
4: But they can't. It's it's he's representing us.
6: Right. And so that's it's kind like of they're rejecting argument. us. Yeah. And Theresa May, the yeah. Prime Minister, she both condemned mm. President Trump for what he what he did in retweeting those and Said he's still welcome. Theresa May, the Prime Minister, or Theresa
4: May, the other woman with six <laughs> followers on it Instagram? It depends on who President Trump's <laughs>
6: tweeting at the moment. He got the Twitter handle wrong for the Prime Minister of Britain and yeah. hit up some it's woman. Some poor Theresa May here. She in had like the six states. followers. Now she has 150. <laughs> but then she made her, her account private so nobody yeah. can follow Smart. her and all this stuff. So, And finally, Snickers. They make candy bars. Well, they are mm-hmm. a candy
7: bar. They mm-hmm.
6: surveyed 5,000 Americans in all 50 states and found that New York is the hangriest state in the Union. Oh, wow. With hunger induced rage peaking at about two hours after lunchtime on Mondays. Hmm. Wow. I, so that's the peak hangry time. Peak hangry. California and Florida tied for the second hangriest state with mild mannered Wisconsinites. Is that what you call people in Wisconsin, Apparently. Wisconsinites? Mm-hmm. Uh, coming she in says. at the least <laughs> hangry population in America. Wisconsin. Wisconsin is, Wisconsin is well, least because They've got the best cheese,
4: right? And the cheese got, is
6: very filling. Apparently, it's yeah. right on hand at all times too.
4: And they've got Rodgers. What's his name?
6: Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers. Well, he's broken right now. Hey,
4: a broken Aaron Rodgers is better than any other quarterback.
6: Just don't cry in your cheese, right? Snickers also learned that Californians are the quickest to get hangry, hitting up the unpleasant mood just eighteen minutes after being regularly hungry and that New Yorkers hit the hangrier level seven times a month, while the rest of the country only reaches that peak an average of five times a month. Men were also more likely than women to say they did something while hangry and that l- they later regretted 63% to 54%. So 63% of men said they did something that they regret oh, while hangry. Wow. Yeah, yeah, that's good. Just over a quarter of Americans say they've actually been reduced to tears because of hanger. A quarter? I don't know if I've ever, ever been Hungry and that caused me to get angry But it but, has caused you to cry I've cried mainly because You know food is my special friend I don't know that you've friend. ever cried I've had some tears It's happened before Can you, prove, can you prove that? No but people have was, told me
4: Was there a witness?
6: No uh, that's, the whole, that's the special talent I have Is I can do this in private And then take he's care a, of it He's so a crying on
5: the inside type of guy
4: Yeah that's the worst. Inside, kind of he's a
6: mess. My mother told me occasionally as a child I would cry. I bet your cry was like, uh. Could be. Like with your deep voice. Yeah, could be. Well, Uh I, I haven't always had this voice. That happened at about thirteen or fourteen. Oh, really? Which made phone call about up, it? Which made phone calls to my friends rather awkward. Oh, they thought it was some. Because you call, you call you call up and your 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 friend's mom answers. There. There's some man on the phone for Jimmy. What's <laughs> going? Yeah. I'm willing there
5: have been tears shed, but it had something to do with, like, an Avengers trailer. Mm, sad.
4: Why do you always bring that up? Because it's probably true.
6: It's totally true.
4: <laughs> it's totally true, but if you bring it up, then he'll talk about it.
6: Nope. Not today. Wow. 200, reserved. 230 million people watched that trailer in 24 hours. Wait, you just said you weren't going to talk about it. Just saying. Okay. How many people? I've read 230 million people. How many times did you watch it? Five. So, you can divide that 230
4: million by five. And yeah. You'll know exactly how many people really <laughs>
6: watch the trailer. You think so? Yeah. It's all right. It's great. My wife watched it. She, was, uh, she went, huh, that's interesting. We're going to see that one too, right? Went, Absolutely. She went, all right. She is such a saint. She's a trooper. She's a trooper. She falls asleep in most of them, but that's fine. But who? it's the best $8 nap of your life.
4: Is that what a movie costs?
6: Depends on the time and place. By the way, more breaking news this morning. Yeah. Secretary Tillerson. Yeah. On reports that the White House is considering a plan to replace him. Mm-hmm. He calls it laughable.
4: <laughs> uh, we don't wager, but if we were to wager. It's going to happen by Christmas. I'd be wagering that he's gone, <laughs> at least by February 1st. Yeah.
6: He's gone. Right. Trump said he's still here. Do you think the moron comment is just sort of hanging yeah. mm-hmm. there? Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. Some say it's been validated. He never denied it. And they did, and Yeah.
5: Can't they just take him off the payroll but not tell him about it? Like mm. in the movie Office Space?
4: Yeah, no.
6: Just move him down into an ever increasingly smaller office in the basement of the <laughs> State <laughs> just Department? shrinking Give
5: in. him a can of uh, Raid to take care of the bug problem?
6: Yeah. I don't
4: think that's... I don't think that's how you handle the Secretary of State. Hmm. I mean, he's, what, the third most powerful person in the government? What Not more. what we're told.
6: <sighs> he's having lunch with the President today, by the way. Oh, that ought to be fun. Him and General Mattis. And all the mice in the White House? Yeah. it would be great. You're like Feifel and everyone hanging out with him. Oh, I love it when Feifel comes to hang out.
4: Hey, uh, did you hear the story about the Albuquerque police officer? what did he do? He um, ended up... Adopting a baby whose uh, parent was a homeless mother's opioid addicted newborn. Wow. Mm. Cool story out of Albuquerque. Uh, Albuquerque police officer Ryan Hollitz responded to a possible theft at a nearby convenience store, has all the hallmarks of the mundane assignment. Uh, but, and you know, go clear it from the log. And as he left a convenience store, he noticed out of the corner of his eye a couple sitting on the grass against a cement wall. It appeared uh, that a man and a woman were shooting up heroin in broad daylight. Oh, boy. And Ryan turned on his body camera and approached the couple, but he wasn't prepared for what he saw. The woman was in the middle of injecting a needle into her companion's arm. Then he noticed that the woman was pregnant. <sighs> And uh, it's not every day I see a sight like that. He said it really made me sad. Crystal Champ, 35, looks slightly dazed and agitated and uh, in the video. And he said, you're going to kill your baby. Ryan has heard on the body camera footage. Um, camera footage. Why do you have to be doing that stuff? Uh, it's going to ruin your baby. Anyway, over time, he got her help. Uh, Champ is Been a homeless uh, for more than two years. She do tell the lifetime of battling heroin and crystal meth. Uh, About $50 a day she was paying for all of Mm. that. Anyway, uh, in their conversation, Ryan was able to get her to go get some help. And uh, he was then eventually he offered to adopt her baby. Wow. Which is super cool because the baby's probably going to have other issues, right? And uh, I guess legally it's going through right now. Top. good for him what a stud and good for her really right making yeah. a, making a healthy decision for her her child and uh, helping her child have a shot so that's pretty cool um they're not just you know everyone has a some feeling about the men in blue but um there's a champ right there they're out there doing more than just giving you tickets uh let's we're gonna have to do a little empty news after our next guest that's that's fine. You haven't looked at any of these stories, have you? No. Okay. I am now, should I not? No. I want you to give okay. me the papers back. I will not look at it. And uh, up next, we're going to be talking about uh, bullying online. There's some interesting research uh, suggesting that some of the bullying uh, may surprise you where it's coming from. Straight ahead on the Matt Townsend Show. Recently, cyberbullying has become a huge issue, not only because of how it hurts uh, the, the people around us, but because it can also be linked to suicide. But did you know that some of these harsh messages come um, that, that are that are found with cyberbullying? Actually, uh, a percentage of them are coming from the person uh, that's being bullied. They're actually. They're bullying themselves. In a nationwide survey of middle and high school students ages 12 to 17, about 6% said they'd anonymously posted something mean about themselves online. Dr. Justin Patchen is a professor who studies cyberbullying. He's here today to share with us what's really going on with cyberbullying and the and the the pain that's, uh, that's behind it. Um, Justin Patchen is a professor of criminal justice at the University of w- uh, wisconsin Claire, and his latest book, Bullying Today, Bullet Points and Best Practices, came out in May of 2016. Justin, thank you for being with us today.
3: Hey, Matt. Glad to be with you.
4: What, a, what an interesting uh, find in that research. A, a certain percentage of um, some of the cyberbullying going on are actually people bullying themselves.
3: Yeah, you know, we were caught off guard by this uh, phenomenon as well. Uh, We first learned of it back in 2013 when there was a situation involving a 14-year-old girl in England who had committed suicide after experiencing some cyberbullying on the social media platform Ask.fm. And when the administrators looked into uh, who was saying what and where everything was coming from, they noticed that all of the hurtful messages were coming from the girl's own IP address, own computer, Hmm. and essentially she she was posting them herself. And and when we saw that, we thought, wow, that's just, that's unbelievable. We didn't really, we had been studying cyberbullying for, you know, over a decade at that point and hadn't even considered that. And so we looked to see if anybody else was studying this particular behavior, and and nobody really was. So we uh, planned on including some questions on these behaviors in an upcoming study, and we just did that last fall.
4: Wow and so uh wh- what 's your and what are the experts saying? what are you saying why would they why would they do this I mean obviously they 're in pain somehow
3: yeah that is that was the very first question we had as well and in fact, we included a question on our survey to ask them those who admitted to us that they had done this, why they did it, and uh, we you know, we just had an open ended question so they could write whatever they want wanted we didn 't want to Kind of forced them into certain categories, and then we looked at what they said after the fact and, and categorized them in different groups. And in some cases, it was kind of a self-hate. They were mad at themselves. They wanted to feel worse. It was kind of a, you know, they were they were having trouble dealing with issues personally, so socially, uh, relationally, and so they took it out on themselves. Uh, a lot of it, it could be categorized as looking for a reaction to see how others would respond, to see if anybody would step up to help them, uh, to see if an adult would weigh in. In, in some cases, the, the students told us that these, these behaviors were happening to them in more private ways, and they wanted to make them more public, and so they essentially recreated what was happening privately on, on a public sphere to, to, again, kind of see if anybody would jump in. But in some cases, it was depression. They talked about just being very sad and, and upset. Uh, but in a few cases, they just thought they were being funny. And mm. so it wasn't really a serious thing. They were just trying to, to get a laugh. So I think there are a lot of reasons why uh, some people might do this. Wow. And it, I mean, I guess this also just shows us that any
4: sign of cyberbullying uh, is really a, something we must pay attention to.
3: That's right. I mean, I don't think we need to get so caught up on you know, focusing on whether or not it's something that the target does him or herself or somebody else. I mean, clearly it's a cry for help. And so we need to direct our attention, whether it's as a parent, as a school, uh, as other community leader to helping that child uh, with whatever's going on in their life, whether it's, again, the social problems or the personal problems, it's it's certainly something that needs to be addressed.
4: And I'm assuming uh, because these people also, if if they're going to bully themselves, they probably are having their own anxieties, their own depressions, their own mental health issues. But I'm assuming too many of the people perpetrating um, online bullying are also have other emotional issues, and they're just taking it out on others.
3: That's true, yeah, and I, I think you know we look at it, um, you know the person doing the the bullying, uh, they need help, and so whether that's the person being targeted or somebody else there there's issues going on there. yeah
4: what talk to us about what else you're finding out about uh, online bullying? How common is it today?
3: Well, in our research, we find about one in four students has been cyberbullied at some point in their lifetime, maybe about ten percent has experienced it in the last 30 days, um, you know, we're, we've been studying cyberbullying since about 2001 and we've done 12 or 13 formal surveys of students and it's actually remained fairly stable. Um, the percent of students who experience cyberbullying hasn't dramatically increased in the last several years. It hasn't really decreased much either. So, uh, you know, I think what we're doing as a society in some spheres is working in terms of uh, addressing these behaviors. And and certainly in our research and other research, uh, bullying at school is going down. uh, And yet more students are still experiencing bullying at school than online. Hmm. Uh, We've seen that across all of our research and and most research that others have done. So there's still a lot of work to be done. So when when they actually are bullying
4: themselves online, you call that... Digital self harm.
3: Yeah, we call it digital self harm. There's other terms for it that are floating around, like self cyberbullying, you know, and and other sort of examples of, you know, self trolling. Um, But you know, I I think that the because this is a a new thing. I mean, this is the first survey of of students, middle and high school students, that have been done. We as an academic community, a research community, are still trying to figure out simple things, just like, what do we call this? And how do we measure it? And so this is, you know, we had a few questions in our, our survey. And I think this is our goal is for this to be the beginning of a more comprehensive look into these behaviors.
4: How many people are are doing this self digital self harm? How? I mean, how big of an issue is this?
3: Well, we expected it to be a very small issue. And we predicted it'd be like less than one percent of students had done it which is why we waited for a survey that we were doing that was going to be large enough to try to capture enough uh, of these kind of behaviors. Because if we're only surveying five or 600 kids, and if it's a 1% thing, then you're only going to get five or six kids who have done it. Right. So last fall, we surveyed about 5,700 uh, middle and high school students from around the United States, nationally representative. And we found that about 6% were doing it. So wow. it's a much higher number than we thought. Uh, but again, it's, it's just a, sort of a one first step at this. One question where we asked, actually two questions, we asked them, have they posted anything online about them uh, anonymously that was hurtful? And then we asked them, have you anonymously cyber bullied yourself? Just try to get a, that perspective a little bit uh, differently. Um, and the number the numbers were higher than we expected. The other surprising thing that we found in our study was, Boys were significantly more likely to do it than girls. Really, and the reason we were surprised by this is all of the incidents that we had heard of of digital self harm. We've heard of four different incidents now. Uh, a couple have made the public, you know, media, but a couple have not. All involved girls, and so we just presumed that this was something that was disproportionately done uh, by girls. But that's not the case. We we do see when we kind of dig into the data a little bit more. Uh, the boys who are doing it seem to uh, more of them said they were doing it as a joke or to be funny or it wasn't that big of a deal. Whereas more of the girls who were doing it, there seemed to be some kind of dep- depressive symptomology or self-hate or some other serious thing going on. So I think we have to kind of dis- kind of distinguish or disentangle these issues even more.
4: Yeah. Wow. That's... And, and so maybe talk about that because... Uh, Is there a connection to bullying and suicide and a correlation, I guess? And is there also a connection or correlation, I guess, or do you not have the data yet on uh, self-harm, digital self-harm and suicide?
3: Well, we have data. It's a very complicated issue, Matt. It's, It's something that we've published a couple of papers on, at least in terms of bullying and cyberbullying and suicide. And most of the research... That attempts to look at that connection finds some correlation between experience with bullying and cyberbullying and uh, suicidal ideation, suicidal thoughts, um, attempted suicide. The problem is the vast majority of that research, in- including the couple of papers we've written, is all uh, what we call cross sectionally collected, meaning we're collecting data at one point in time. So we don't know, and we can't control for everything. Yeah. So we don't know, for example, does the experience with with cyberbullying cause one to be suicidal, or if somebody's depressed and suicidal, does that make them a better target for a bully? Uh, We also know that even though there are examples of kids who have committed suicide after being bullied or cyberbullied... In almost all of those uh, examples, there's much more going on in the lives of these children than just the bullying or cyberbullying. So there are family problems, relationship problems, school problems. So most likely it's a combination of, of things going on that leads to that ultimate uh, problem.
4: Well, and we, we also, we, I mean, we know people uh, do self-harm. They cut on themselves. I mean, it would this would seem like an extension of that.
3: Yes. And there again, we found a correlation. We asked about offline self-harm cutting and and those kinds of things. And those uh, students who told us that they engaged in self-harm offline, you know, sort of physical self-harm, were two to three times as likely to engage in online self-harm. But here again, we don't know which came first. So we, we, we need to learn more about kind of the trajectory of these things. Does a child get depressed and then they cut themselves and then they post things online to try to get attention or is it the other way around where, you know, the online self-harm is a stepping stone towards physical self-harm and ultimate uh, suicide. The, the, the connection between self-harm and suicide is is kind of, uh, it's a difficult connection. There is, there's some research that supports the link but others that, that doesn't. Uh, so in all of these questions, they're really great research questions that we just need more uh, evidence to examine.
4: Yeah. Uh, we're speaking with Dr. Justin Patchen, who's a professor of criminal justice at the University of Wisconsin-Euclair. He is also, uh, his latest book is Bullying Today, Bullet Points and Best Practices. He's talking about digital self-harm, where about 6% of the people that are experiencing online bullying uh, come to find out are, uh, are actually perpetuating, their, they're perpetrating their own bullying. They're bullying themselves. Is uh, and and boy, that 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 is it's shocking, really. But it's it actually manifests just kind of regular life, offline life. I mean, this really good parallels life, right?
3: Exactly. And and that's something we've learned, you know, in a dozen, 15 years of this research that pretty much everything we're looking at with respect to online behaviors and cyberbullying mirrors what's going on in the real world. Uh, quote, quote, real world, right? Because online lives are real for for these young people. But that's exactly right. So, you know, they're having problems at school. They're having problems online. They're having, you know, they're connecting with their friends at school in the neighborhood online. So uh, maybe we shouldn't have been surprised that, you know, there is self-harm going on, uh, physical self-harm. And so it it would follow that there's yeah. uh, behaviors like this going on online as well.
4: Well, there's digital promiscuity. There's digital, I mean, gossip. There's, I mean, everything, everything, everything you right. see in high school can happen digitally.
3: And it's amplified and it's visible and, you know, it's not necessarily better or worse. It's just, we can see it yeah. more easily. And so I think, you know, as parents and educators and community leaders, it's sometimes scary because it's right there in front of us. Whereas sometimes, the face-to-face stuff or physical stuff is a lot more hidden.
4: What What do you suggest for parents that, um, that you know, may be seeing their child as being bullied? Uh, what can we do to to just be, I guess, to be a better parent and to be there and to advise our kids through this?
3: Yeah, I think the, the key is opening up that line of communication because a lot of young people that we speak to who are cyberbullied Uh, they don't feel comfortable turning to an adult to discuss their situation because they feel like adults don't understand cyberbullying. They don't understand what's going on online and how important it is to their lives, socially, relationally, uh, academically. Um, So I think they've been kind of taught to not – uh, discuss these issues with parents, particularly if it's something bad that's happening online, because, you know, if a child tells their parent uh, that they're being cyberbullied or there's some other bad experience occurring online, the concern is the inclination of the parent is just to get the kid offline, right? If so, if right. there's a problem on Facebook, we'll just get off Facebook. Or if there's a problem with your cell phone, well, just, just take your cell phone away for a while. And I, you know, I don't think that's realistic for kids these days, uh, relationally or academically. But also, it, it blames them. It's right; they didn't do anything wrong, and now they have to miss out on all the benefits that technology has to offer. So, uh, expressing to your children that you're you're there to uh, discuss these issues to help them, you won't, you know kind of overreact by taking away the technology. You'll work through these issues together in a, a productive way. And, and that might mean taking a break from technology for a little bit to let things settle down, but uh, they're not going to automatically be blamed. I think it also, you know, this research suggests, even though uh, a small minority of kids are doing, engaging in this digital self-harm, it's still means we need to keep an open mind about what's happening and try to gather as much information as we possibly can about the incident. So if your child is being bullied or cyberbullied, collect evidence, save, you know, save messages, keep screenshots, uh, all that kind of stuff, so that ultimately if it does escalate to something serious... Uh, you could get law enforcement involved or school officials involved, and ultimately those messages can be traced back to find out who the aggressor was. How do you know when it's serious? I mean, there's the obvious threats, but
4: yeah. at what point does it become, uh, you know, a situation where you would involve authorities?
3: I think if it continues for uh, a long period of time, whatever that means, it might be weeks, it might be months. If, certainly if it escalates to threats, uh, threats of physical safety, then you need to pull law enforcement involved uh, in because, you know, even if kids are just joking around about, you know, saying that they're going to hurt somebody or kill somebody, uh, that needs to be investigated. Uh, if it's affecting the child, Significantly, where they don't want to go to school, they don't feel safe at school. They're, you know, physically anxious. Their grades drop off. Uh, you know, their their kind of interactions with usual friend relationships change dramatically. Uh, all these things are signals that something needs to happen to to address the the, the problem that's occurring. Because you know, frankly, kids are going to experience conflict. They're going yeah. to experience drama. I think as parents, the best we can do in kind of a low level. Uh, conflict is to, you know, the, the buzzword now is scaffolding, right, to provide them with tools to deal with it on their own, to kind of work behind the scenes, to give them some suggestions, whether it's to ignore it or to you know, block the person online. I'm working on a blog post right now uh, where I'm looking at data from our recent study. Uh, we asked teen, uh, the, the students, the middle and high schools, to tell us what worked in terms of stopping cyberbullying when it happened to them, and quite a few of the, the students said that they just blocked the person, they ignored the person. Hmm. Uh, in some cases, they got help from their parents. Uh, but I think it's giving youth those tools so they they can do some things, they can have some agency when these things occur, but then step in when necessary if it gets too far.
4: Is there something we can also teach our kids to be doing to to protect their friends, you know, peer-to-peer?
3: Absolutely. I think, you know, if 25-30% of kids are being cyber-bullied, uh, that means, you know, 70% aren't, and yet they see it happen. So what, when I do... Um, you know, speaking engagements in schools, I'll do assemblies for students and I'll encourage them to step up when they see these things happening online whether it's, you know, standing up for the the, the person being targeted digitally or otherwise, maybe you see that your friend is being cyberbullied and you take a screenshot of the message and you show an adult you trust who can deal with it, or you report it to the website, hmm. because a lot of times the person being targeted feels helpless, they don't feel like anybody cares, uh, and so reaching out to that person and saying, hey, I saw what happened you know, on Instagram, and I'm here to help you, and I, you know, I think you're right, and I think you're beautiful, and I think you're amazing, and you know, I, I stand with you on this, and so I think there are things that students can do. To counteract these behaviors, even if it's not affecting them,
4: so true, so good, too. Great advice, Justin W. Patchin, again, professor of criminal justice at the University of Wisconsin-Eau Claire, and also the author of the book *Bullying Today: Bullet Points and Best Practices*. Thank you so much, Justin, for your insight and all of us, really. It sounds like we are safer together if we if we look out for each other and we could be teaching our kids that as well. We will continue the journey. More learning straight ahead. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you be the good in the world. That's the music, folks. That means it's time to get to our Empty News segment of the show with our Empty News anchor, Jeffrey Liam Simpson. The Empty News Team. First on the scene. Fifth
5: on facts. We've got some good ones today. Of course we do. We always So we've been seeing a lot of these lockdown stories lately with, you know, mysterious smells and powders and things of that nature. They shut down the school. How about squirrels? Huh? Squirrels. (laughs) <laughs> a man shooting a BB gun at squirrels in his yard Thursday morning prompted a lockdown at an elementary school in what? Cocoa, Florida.
7: Cocoa, cocoa,
5: for, <laughs> for cocoa puffs. Uh, police said they received reports that a man was armed with a rifle in a neighborhood near Cambridge Elementary School shortly after 8:30 a.m. Oh, wow! Police searched the area and blocked off the street and worked with a crime analyst to gather information about the address where the man was seen with a gun. After about 90 minutes, officers were able to get the man inside the home to exit without incident. Yeah. He told... Put the BB gun down! (laughs) He told police he had a BB gun and was trying to get rid of problem squirrels in his attic. Police said the school lockdown was lifted after the man spoke with detectives, and they determined there wasn't a threat.
4: Oh, but those poor squirrels. You sympathize with the squirrels? Well, yeah, I mean... Did, Can you imagine now they're reporting some gunman in the attic. Don't you have any type of a pest in your yard that you
5: really want to get rid of?
4: Uh, just neighbor kids. <laughs> but I can't do much about it. But not really,
5: no, no squirrels, no, no
4: rats, not, mice, no rats. anything no, like that. We used to have mice, but you know, I just took care of them. My
5: father in law has rabbits oh, that really? infest his yard from time to time. Wow. So he's got a little rabbit trap. Um, I've been tempted. I won't say by what animals coming into my backyard, but I've been
4: tempted to have a BB gun. Well, I think it'd be fun to have a BB gun just for fun, but not to harm an animal. Squirrels can be pesky, though. When we oh, lived yeah.
5: in our Seattle home, yeah. we would try to grow our own produce, and uh, they I knew the tree that they lived in. I could see the hole that they went into, and they would come down. We could never keep strawberries uncovered by the way i only successfully grew like three strawberries oh wow um but squash yellow squash grew very well there and it was the most amazing thing i ever saw they would somehow take their little paw and they'd put it under their arm and just run off with it while holding it it was amazing
4: yeah because that would be heavy for the little squirrel
5: and they did it somehow
4: they could maybe move a piano if they were big. maybe.
5: That's... So, do you think you could do that to squirrels? No,
4: yeah, I mean, yeah. If they were, <laughs> if they were taking my food, but yeah. I, yeah, but I would probably, I don't know. The guy had to have been making a lot of noise to get the police to come and Squirrel. the school, the school to get shut down. Yeah, yeah. come on. But
5: uh, here's another one. Yeah, this one's kind of sad, but it, it's it almost turns out to be like a hero story cool. at the end. Cool. So. There's this bride and groom that miss their own wedding reception because of the bride's allergic reaction. Oh, no. Yeah. What's she allergic to? So she finds out on her wedding day, unfortunately, that she is allergic to milk and almonds.
4: Oh, no. Oh.
5: And you you might appreciate this. This might actually be something that you wish that you had, so yeah. that you had an excuse to not exercise, because she has a medical condition called exercise-induced anaphylaxis. Oh, yeah. I think I've got that. So uh, she was treated and released, but uh, they missed the rest of their reception. And they still went on their honeymoon, but she was just feeling down the whole time. <laughs> and apparently... Uh. Um, the owner of the entertainment company that was putting on the uh, reception, they teamed up with the caterer to put on another reception. Oh, how nice! So of on that. November 26th, they had a second reception. They had a cocktail hour, dinner, dancing, and uh, yeah, that's they, cool. They had their cake that their, they never got to cut,
4: and they got to eat it too. That's true. So it's kind of like a little hero uh, story, see, too. That, it turns out. And that's good. Those are good companies that are like, okay, we've got to make this work.
5: That's true. I'm, but I'm willing to bet that you wish you were inflicted with exercise-induced anaphylaxis. Why would you bet that? Because I remember when I was interviewing for this job. Yeah. And uh, that we did some story about how running is bad for you. And you said, I knew it. I knew it all along. Oh, yeah. And you were excited that you didn't have to run. Yeah, running is not good for you. Well, especially with your grankles. Come again? Uh, There's one more story here. Uh, There's a Phoenix, Arizona man that was caught in the engineer seat of a locomotive, and he nearly pushed enough buttons and pulled enough levers to steal the train. Almost stole the train. Well, hold on. Where do you take a train? Right. They know exactly where you're going. (laughs) Just follow the tracks. (laughs) (laughs) So the Union Pacific Railroad police... They've got the railroad police. I yeah. didn't know that oh, yeah, was a thing. absolutely. Uh, so this was from a report on November 8th. Employees heard a train horn blowing excessively and went to investigate. They then found uh, the 20-year-old Julio Rodriguez in the engineer seat. Rodriguez, who was released from jail that morning, allegedly admitted that he entered the rail, rail yard with the intention of stealing a locomotive. I think you're right. This is probably the worst thing you could attempt to <laughs> of steal. Of all
4: the things, because you can't lift it. Right. You can't, how would you sell it? Yeah. You can't take it anywhere.
5: That's like trying to steal the monorail at Disneyland. Yeah.
4: <laughs> it's mine. Yeah. It's like, yeah. Not
5: so good. he told police uh, that he climbed in and began moving levers and pushing buttons while reading the operation instructions found <laughs> inside. He was removed from the train, employees inspected it, and saw that Rodriguez had released the brake levers and put the engine in reverse. They say all he needed to do was engage the gear and apply the throttle, and the engine would move. Yeah, but at his rate,
4: that would have taken him another week. That's scary. But he could have have created some serious damage. Man, could have harmed, killed people. Man, the crazy stuff. Uh, uh, By the way, empty news. Thanks, Jeffrey. Let's take a break. Up next, we're going to uh, give you a little preview of screen cleaning. The Jeff's little, uh, not little, Jeff's enormous show that is uh, here to help us have a healthier online life. This is the Matt Townsend show.
5: I can take my finger off the ejection button
4: now. Thank you. Yes, yes, yes. It's that time, folks, where I get to hand the reins over for one hour to my uh, wonderful friend, cohort, and host of Screen Cleaning, Jeffrey Simpson. Apparently he'll be featuring the Mormon Tabernacle Choir today. (laughs) what what's going to be on the show jeffrey so it's december and you've finally given me
5: permission to play christmas music that means we're going to be talking about christmas movies but we're going to have several lists of movies to consider this christmas because you've got limited time yeah you've got shopping so many hours you gotta i mean you have to spend time with your family i guess you 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 get to contractually you're blessed um so you have so little time and i want To help you hone in on the movies that you should be watching, and maybe some that you could probably skip this year. Ooh. Yeah. We'll also be speaking with somebody that created a video game, an award-winning video game, and uh, having a little trivia contest with him. I didn't know I knew video games so well. Really? But you did, huh? And then, of course, we'll be speaking with Spencer and Jerem at BYU Sports Nation. I want to see, I want to get their ideas for which movies we could skip this Christmas season
4: cuz there's a lot there's there's vacation no christmas there's you, you would skip that one there's no I oh i see well it sounds like a great show and i'm out of here folks uh but it's been a great week good to be with you we'll be back again monday stick with us screen cleanings up next
5: Good Friday morning. Welcome to Screen Cleaning here on the Matt Townsend Show. I'm Jeff Simpson. I'm here with Cole Wissinger. And uh, every Friday at 9 a.m. Mountain Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time, we do our darndest to shine a big old spotlight and all that is good in entertainment. And we have got a jam-packed show for you here today. We're going to be giving you some holiday movie ideas for the month of December. We know you've got limited time, what with all the shopping and all the spending of time with family and the... yeah. Almost went into a Jerry Lewis rant there. Uh, we're also going to speak uh, to be speaking with Nate Swinney, who is a creator of a video game that uh, won some awards. And we're also going to have a little trivia contest that Cole put together for us. And then, of course, we're going to see- speak with our good friends at BYU Sports Nation. Cole, I don't know about you, but uh, I'm always on the lookout for a new holiday film classic.
9: And they make new ones every year, Jeff.
5: Yeah, and yet it's it's really tough to pull off. So, you know, instead of watching the same old classics year after year, I've decided I'm going to watch the films that no one else will watch, Cole. It's honorable of you. Thank you. So in keeping with the holiday spirit, too, I'll make sure to see the good in these films uh, instead of just looking at all the bad, negative things in a segment I'm calling Silver Lining Cinema Holiday Edition. Uh, Ooh, uh-huh. During an interview with Stacy Harkey from Studio C, this is uh, from a few months back, I reviewed the film Santa Claus Conquers the Martians. So this movie, back in 1964, spent two hundred thousand dollars to make this movie, and let's just say it really shows. Oh. And that's—I'm not saying that's a bad thing. I am all for saving as much money as you possibly can. And right off the bat, it becomes very apparent that they were also very interested in saving money. Nice. Uh, you know, the Mars—it's full of these these rocks and scenery that it's clearly paper mache. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, the Martians have these hats that have this um, the sink piping that represents uh, uh, their antennae. Oh, and so clearly it looks like a bunch of families got together and just put together these costumes and the sets. You can tell that there were a lot of good family Mm -hmm. nights that went into this film. Little Johnny got to make some of those rocks and it's full. And I mean, just full of stock footage of, you know, Ships and rockets taking off, and I'm totally okay with that because it's there. Why not use it? it just, why yeah. go? Why shoot all this new footage when you have all this great footage that's just sitting there on the shelf that nobody's going to use? Um, there's there's a shot. Of a, uh, of a spaceship that looks like it's just a baked potato wrapped in foil on a wire. <laughs> but that's a good thing because it allows us to not be distracted by all this CGI and to just be able to focus on the story. And who doesn't now, like potatoes? Right. So getting to that story, the story of Santa Claus Conquers the Martians. Martians kidnap Santa Claus mm. so that their kids can have presents on Christmas. And the reason they do this is because they see their kids watching all these earthling programs on television, and it's rotting their brains. Mm. So they want their kids to be able to play with these toys and get out and be more active. So they kidnap Santa Claus. And again, great messages. Don't watch as much TV. Get outside. Play with toys. Yeah, all good messages. That's great. That's great. Yeah. Let's talk about the casting. There's a scene where they go, the Martians, they go and consult this 800-year-old Martian, and you would think, okay, they're just going to get some really super old guy to play this, which, you know, old people get all the roles these days. All the old people roles. They get them. So they took a middle-aged man, slapped some makeup on him, and said, you know, talk in this really screechy, high-pitched voice. And they let they finally gave a role to a middle aged man. I love that. Yeah, so much. No, no typecasting it. I love no. That. I love how accessible Santa Claus is in this. The movie starts out with a TV reporter okay. going to the North Pole, knocking on Santa Claus's workshop, wow. uh, the door, and uh, just has like this. Five seems like maybe 10 or 20 minute interview that just really goes on and on. And it just shows to me that Santa Claus is really accessible. And I like that. I love that. I love that. There's a polar bear that that looks like it's going to grab these children at one point of the movie. But it's clearly just a man in a polar bear suit. You always see those messages at the end of the film that says no animals were harmed in the making of this film. I saw that and I knew without even having to see that disclaimer, (laughs) no animals were harmed in the making of this film because no animals were used in the making of this film. That's awesome. And then one other thing that I think I would mention is um, there's this robot that they enlist the help of to try to capture these children who Mm -hmm. have who have escaped and It looked exactly like a robot I made when I was in third grade.
1: That is so charming.
5: Okay, I'm okay now. Yeah, that is It took me back great memories, anything that can make me feel good about my childhood. (sighs) We'll be reviewing a new potential holiday classic each week on Screen Cleaning as part of our Silver Lining Cinema Holiday Edition segment. Now, although we strive to find the good in all films, we realize you don't have all the time in the world. So when we return, we'll share a list of holiday films you can probably skip this year. This is Jeff Simpson, and in an effort to help you save time, here are five movies you can safely save until next year. Or just skip completely. Number one. Now, I'm probably going to get into trouble with my wife for this one, and it isn't a particularly bad film, but for me, Irving Berlin's White Christmas just doesn't lend itself to repeat viewing. It's cheesy. It seems longer than it is. And is anyone else bothered by the fact that Bing Crosby's love interest in the film, Rosemary Clooney, was 25 years younger than Bing?
9: I guess I've
7: always been kind of a silly schoolgirl. You know the bit, the the Lady Fair and the Knight on the White Horse. Let me tell you something. It's kind of dangerous putting those knights up on white horses.
1: Likely to slip off, you
5: know. Ugh, creepy. Number two, Scrooged. This dark take on Dickens' A Christmas Carol is just a downer. As much as I love Bill Murray, his laid-back demeanor is best when he's playing an innocent, like in What About Bob?
2: I've never been on a boat, and I don't think I can handle it.
5: And his sarcasm is best when his character has an arc, like in Groundhog Day.
2: Do you ever have deja
5: vu? Didn't you just ask me that? But Murray's arc here is minimal, if not non-existent. The film is crude, mean-spirited, and unnecessary.
2: We have spent $40 million on a
8: live TV show. You guys have got an ad reading a book in
2: front of a fireplace. I have to kill all of you.
5: Brownie points, however, to Danny Elfman's exceptional score. Number three, Home Alone 2, a Lost in New York. Uh-oh. Ah!
8: I'm gonna murder that
5: kid. This film is more of a remake than a sequel. When Home Alone Part 1 became the highest-grossing holiday film of all time, the filmmakers definitely took the if-it-ain't-broke approach when making Part 2. Instead of Chicago, mischievous Kevin is alone in New York.
4: What kind of idiots do you have working here? The finest in New York.
5: Instead of overcoming his fear of a creepy snow-salt shoveler, he overcomes his fear of a creepy bird lady.
4: What's this? It's a turtle dove. I have one. You have one. As long as we each have a turtle dove, we'll be friends forever.
5: And instead of Crooks, Harry and Marv getting maimed by paint cans, Harry and Marv get maimed by paint cans. Now, this doesn't mean as a kid I didn't love the maiming parts. In fact, I would usually fast forward to those paint cans.
7: Come on, let's get them!
5: Oops. <laughs> <sighs> Good times. Number four. Like many of you, I'm always on the lookout for new holiday classics. Well, Beauty and the Beast, The Enchanted Christmas, continues Disney's classic tradition of cashing in on former hits at any cost. Uh, The good news, the entire main cast is back for this straight-to-video sequel-slash-prequel, with a few welcome additions, like Bernadette Peters and Tim Curry. The bad news? The 70 minute film focuses on Belle's efforts to secure a Christmas tree.
7: There! That's it! That's it! Oh, Chip, it's perfect!
5: Oh, sorry. The music is simply unbearable.
6: If you must love someone, may I suggest, you love yourself, just think it through. You'll never leave and you'll find you'll get more
2: rest. You'll always feel as good as new.
5: The animation is noticeably inferior to the original. Just as an example, when Belle first appears on screen, my daughter said out loud, That's not Belle! And number five, the Star Wars Holiday Special. Now, in all honesty, I've never actually seen this film, other than maybe the first five minutes. But I have heard many of the stories surrounding this 1978 made-for-TV movie that suggest the experience was anything but jolly for those involved.
1: It's Chewie, but where's Han?
8: That's him, hanging upside down. A
5: quote from George Lucas sums it up perfectly. If I had the time and a sledgehammer... I would track down every copy of that show and smash it.
9: I can't understand what Chewbacca's doing. So there
5: you have it. My five picks for Christmas movies you should probably avoid.
1: This is a 90-second movie review for the film The Man Who Invented Christmas on BYU Radio. The Man Who Invented Christmas tells the story of Charles Dickens as he's trying to write A Christmas Carol in 1843. The novella was written in just six weeks and was completed just days before Christmas. Despite being a Hollywood adaptation of the story, there are some factual points in this film. Dickens was inspired by life in London as he saw it, including the poor, which inspired him to write A Christmas Carol. The film demonstrates the influence others had on the story, but who knows how much actual influence there was. Viewing this film from a more fantastical point of view makes for a wonderful story. The film is entertaining and moves the emotional meter to both ends of happy and sad. Dan Stevens was wonderful as Dickens. I had to be reminded of the other films he's done, such as playing the Beast and a conniving lawyer in Marshall. He has range, and I'll be looking for him in future films. Christopher Plummer, though, as Scrooge was magnificent. His delivery of one-liners was right on time, and the jabs hit hard. There are also scenes of him in some more melancholy moments that make you feel as if you care about Scrooge. The Man Who Invented Christmas is rated PG, and there are some harsh themes of death and survival. Smoking and drinking are present socially, and some people are drunk on screen. There is a little language in the film, and some scenes are dark in feeling and tone. Overall, though, the story is a positive one. This is a good holiday film. I am giving it a B-plus grade. I'm Sean O'Neill. Thanks for listening. This has been a 90-second movie review on BYU Radio.
5: You know, as technology has improved, video game graphics have not only gotten better in quality, but have become more lifelike and visually graphic. BYU students tried to tackle this problem going into the largest showcase the industry has, the Electronic Entertainment Expo, or E3 as the kids like to call it. Here to speak to us today is the team leader of this project, Nate Swinney. Nate, welcome to Screen Cleaning. Thanks. Yeah, thanks for being here. So uh, first of all, tell me more a little bit about the E3 convention because I really don't know anything about it.
10: Okay, Uh, real quick just to clarify. um, So I was the art lead, and we actually had quite a few different people um, in charge of the project. Our director uh, was Jorge Gonzalez, Uh um, and then we had a tech lead and also a game design um, lead as well. So uh E3 is more it, it's for really big companies to kind of show off their latest products, what they're what they're working on. Um and it's really designed to inform the consumer what's what's available, what's what's kind of the new stuff that's happening um this year. Um so you have really big companies like Xbox and Microsoft and Bethesda with their you know really enormous displays. Yeah. Um, and then there's a small um, area for indie developers and also a student section. And for the student section, they have um, five finalists um, out of a group of about 400 schools. And uh, we, we submitted our game. We didn't feel like we were totally finished with the project, um, but we, we gave it a shot and uh, we got picked as a finalist. So That's awesome. Way yeah. to go. So
5: basically, it's a convention where people get to show up and play video games all day. <laughs> yeah. That sounds pretty good. So how did it go? How did you guys do? And, and tell us a little bit about your game that you took with you.
10: Cool. So the game was called Knockback, um, and the the project actually started before I got involved. Um, we had a couple people who, who worked in kind of the early development, um, and kind of decided some of the main gameplay mechanics, uh, but our game is essentially a, a first-person shooter, but we, because it's BYU, we wanted to make sure things were were not terribly violent. Sure. <laughs> so um, we ended up uh, with kind of a, a mashup between something like Super Smash Brothers and Overwatch. It's got kind of a cartoony feel, um, but rather than shooting people and like whittling their health down until they die... Uh, we just had a mechanic built in where you kind of like sumo wrestling, knock them off, oh, off the map, out of the okay. arena. Okay,
5: yeah. So I know you you mentioned that you came into the project a little later on, but where do you think the inspiration for this video game, Knockback, came from?
10: Um, almost everybody on the project is a gamer. So, I mean, we just <laughs> uh, we kind of built a game around the things that we enjoy. Um so, and because of that, we run into a little bit of conflict because we all have slightly different tastes, sure, um, but it's just kind of an amalgamation of the things that we all we all like doing and it's really a process. We start out with something that's really basic, and as you play test and and you go through the game, you realize, hey, this isn't working, or we need to incorporate a little bit more of this, and it just kind of it evolves on its own. We just yeah. kind of carry it along.
5: So I cannot wrap my head around how you would begin to program codes to to you know to eventually get the images on the screen that you see in a video game. So, gosh, it sounds like such a complicated process. What are some of the challenges that you guys came across when you were putting this together?
10: Oh, there's there's totally there's a lot that's really difficult. There's tons of of things in the game that I honestly have no idea how it works. <laughs> um, there's a whole system inside of our engine called the blueprints. Um, and a lot of the code in there, I just, when when a programmer is helping me figure something out, I'm like, I, I don't actually know what you're doing in there, but I'm, yeah. I'm glad it works. Um, probably one of the hardest things, though, is just working with different personalities. I think that's one of the unique experiences here at BYU is we get a chance to work as a group and you learn... Yeah. A lot of the the dynamics of, of just a big group project where you're you're coordinating between programmers, illustrators, technical artists, modelers, um, a sound designer. So for for me as a as the art lead, I think probably the most challenging thing was um, just like producer like work, S- scheduling and setting deadlines. It was it was pretty pretty new to me. So a lot of the games that are out today are really not
5: geared towards families at all. You know, they're first-person shooter games and you know when you shoot them you can see the blood coming out squirting out of the bodies or just very realistic looking weapons. So you you mentioned there's a company out there that focuses on this very thing to to put out video games that are focused on families. Is this kind of what you guys set out to do? And uh, what else can you tell us about this company?
10: Uh, yeah, I mean that's it's a, a big part of BYU is making something that is more uh, family friendly, and we talk a lot about getting different morals and, and sets of ideas into the industry. Um, and 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 like you said, there's there's stuff that's going on right now in the industry that's really cool. I, I can't think of the the name of the the company, but they made a, a game called Journey and Oh, their latest game is Abzu or something strange like that. Um, but they're really, really artistic games where it's it's more about this experience um, where you're exploring and you there's just beautiful scenery and it has a little bit of a, a moral in there as well. A- another game that came out recently, uh, Undertale. <laughs> it's a game that allows you to be as violent as you want, but the game ends up kind of punishing you later on. Uh, Interesting. For, uh, being aggressive and being huh. violent towards um enemies and there's there's a way to play the game where you actually don't have spoilers. You don't have to hurt anybody. And you yeah. can still beat the game.
5: That kind of it reminds me of those little uh, Did you ever hear of those Tamagotchi yeah. devices where yeah, you can be mean to this little this little animal that you have, but there are consequences. You know, maybe the animal gets sick or dies. Yeah, that's really interesting.
10: Yeah, no. So there is there's really cool stuff happening in the industry right now, and we're just trying to get um, more of that more of that going on. I, I mean, video games is, just, is a medium like any other. You can use it to create art. You can use it to broadcast really good ideas or or, or you know negative ones. We just want to create media that is that's more wholesome. Uh, Well, ours ours is still a little bit rough and and tumble, but um at least putting putting a bit of a different face on video games. Okay, that's great.
5: That's what we're all about on screen cleaning. So thanks for uh thanks for sharing that with us. I I do want to just before we go to break, I want you to kind of give us like a little thirty second synopsis of what the game is all about. What's the object of the game and uh, where, you know, the average person can pick it up for sale or play it. where Yeah.
10: Cool. So I'm pretty sure our uh, our launch date is going to be July 7th. Um, okay. And on Steam. So if you want to play it on a PC, you download Steam. And then you just, I think if you search BYU games, it'll show up. Or you can search Knockback. The game is basically you're a dinosaur in kind of like a futuristic arena. And you play against other players. Uh, you have three weapons. And you just shoot at each other, try and knock them off the level. And we, we have kind of an interesting mechanic for, for how you actually get points. Rather than just each person you knock off gives you one more point, we wanted to make sure that even people who aren't familiar with first-person shooters, people who aren't you know avid gamers, yeah. can, can jump in and feel like they always have a chance. So the way that you get your score is... When you knock somebody off the off the arena, you get their score added on top of yours. So that way if, even if oh, you're in cool. dead last, you can jump in and 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 potentially win the game. Yeah, it was really fun. Sometimes we'd get like a surprise somebody who wasn't a gamer who would win a game and they'd yeah, cheering. Well, it sounds ecstatic. like
5: a lot of fun, and you know, man, if I knew how to do that type of thing, that would be. Oh, I probably would have done that instead of gotten a uh, broadcast <laughs> journalism degree at BYU. It's a it,
10: it's a fun little uh, area to be yeah. in. Can't think of a better word than that. <laughs> We're
5: here with Nate Swinney, who is on the team
10: that created
5: the knockback video game that was recently featured. At the Electronic Entertainment Expo, or E3, we were hoping we could have a little fun right now because obviously, like I said, we can't play video games on the radio because that wouldn't be very interesting. <laughs> uh, but we are going to have a little video game trivia contest. And I say contest, but, you know, there's no prize. I, we don't have the budget for that. <laughs> but uh, Cole put this together, so I'm going to turn it over to Cole to officiate and explain how this is going to work. codes.
9: For
1: non-cheaters,
9: on-screen cleaning. Ooh, I love that. So the game is called Cheat Codes for Non-Cheaters, because here at BYU Radio, we do not endorse cheating in your video games, but some video games, um, the designers make it so that you have shortcuts and you have bonus stages, and you have other cool extra things that you can do, Um, and I wanted to highlight some of those things, some of those strategies, we'll call them, that can help you get a leg up next time you're playing these video games. Okay, so, I'll play a little um, soundbite or music bit, uh, and you guys see if you can guess which game it was from. And then if you need a clue, I'll tell you what kind of cheat code or bonus stage or shortcut that it involves. Sounds good. All right.
7: <laughs> oh. Is
5: this... Is this from one of the Street Fighter games?
9: Yes. Do you Ooh. know where it's from?
5: Oh. It's not when you're beating up the, the old Honda. Um, it,
9: it is. That's the oh, bonus stage. Yep. Hey, hey! So in there Street Fighter, you get a bonus <laughs> stage after every so often. You know, Street Fighter being the less violent of the Mortal Kombat kind of style This, this has got to be
5: Street Fighter 1, then, because this doesn't sound like Street
9: Fighter 2. Uh-huh. The original. I tried to keep it original and, and uh, old, for you too. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that was my
5: favorite part, beating up that old Honda. I don't really know why that was there, but uh, it was fun. Something I'd never get to do in real life, but virtually I can do it to my heart's
4: content, I guess.
9: <laughs> All right, ready for round two? Let's do it. Yeah. Okay. Uh are you sure this isn't from an animated movie? Positive. This is very cinematic music though, isn't it? So I'll give you the clue. The cheat code that involves in this, this is from another fighting centric game. Um, this there's a boss that you play against in this particular round and there's a certain cheat code that allows you to play as that boss. He happens to be a white gloved hand.
10: Oh, wait, is it Super Smash Brothers?
9: Yes. Hey! hey. I couldn't
10: tell if it was Super Smash Brothers or something from Kirby.
5: Way to go. You know, I don't even really know what Super Smash Brothers is. Is it where all the Nintendo characters fight each other or something like that? I've never played it. Way to go. Way to go, Nate. Nate got that one. (laughs) Sweet.
9: (laughs) (laughs) All right, next.
5: Oh. Oh,
4: I know what this is.
9: Oh, this is uh, Sonic the Hedgehog. Yep, it's another bonus stage. So you can picture Sonic <sighs> bouncing around. No, it sounds in, like an
5: underwater song. Usually, they have that slower. Uh huh. It's in dream-like. kind of the
9: zero g, where the stage is spinning around you, and you just have oh, to grab as many right. rings as you can. Yeah, bonus Sega,
5: stage. Sega Genesis was one of the systems we never owned. We had to go to the Ross house just down the street to play Sega Genesis. <laughs>
10: Yeah, Yeah. Sonic is one of those, like, really classic games I don't think I've actually ever played more than, like, a couple minutes of.
5: I'm so disappointed because I downloaded it on my Wii, and I can't figure out how to make him run fast. So I... Gotta go fast. I can't figure it out. Anyway.
9: Okay, this next one, it's it's almost a cheat if you pick a particular character when you're in multiplayer. Okay. And if you did, you'd probably hear this noise. We just talked about yes. this.
5: GoldenEye. Goldeneye. Oh, yeah. So the character you got to choose is Odd Job because he's shorter That's than everybody cheat. else. <laughs> yeah. Paintball mode. That was so much fun because all the bullets that you're spraying all over the place, you, it's the room gets all colorful.
10: Yeah. I remember the. Uh dk head mode where all the characters have super huge heads. oh that's awesome
5: because that's another one of the
9: cheap yep cheats. the producer that made that game also made the donkey kong countries that's why they kind of like added that little cheat in there as well oh cool i love playing that game
5: and then watching the movie and the the levels on the game and the scenes in the movie are pretty much identical it's crazy yeah they did an amazing job on that game one of the best games ever made
9: so we are screen cleaning, right? And so I thought I'd include a couple movie-themed ones. Okay. So the next two, this first one, we'll see if you can guess the movie, but I'll also accept what video game it's referencing.
10: Okay.
8: Up, up, down. <laughs> Stop.
5: Sounds like somebody's having oh, a stroke.
9: Oh, it's the sweet
10: lifeblood of the game. Oh. Is this uh Wreck-It Ralph? It is Wreck-It yes. Ralph. Right.
9: And he's punching in the ultimate cheat code. What was his? Up, up. Uh, oh, I don't know. Yep. Up, up, what's down, his,
10: uh, B something.
9: What's his name again? The character's name? King, King of the Candy? Sweet, yeah, King Candy, I think.
5: King Candy. Oh, yes. The, the, I don't know the code, but it's up, down, back, back, something or other. Yeah.
9: That's cool. Alan Tudyk uh-huh. voiced that character, by the way. Great Reck- voice actor. Good guess. Way to go. Okay. And he's putting in Konami Code, which was the very – it's one of the oldest cheat codes that there is for the old Contra or other games back on the NES that gave okay. you either like unlimited lives or let you shoot all the things at the same time if you were <laughs> on one of those space games.
5: By the way, I should mention uh, Street Fighter was actually a movie as well.
7: It
9: was. It yeah.
5: It wasn't a – a horrible Good movie. Horrible movie, but yeah.
9: <laughs> There's, yeah, there have been a few terrible video game movies in the past, but this, I think this is the gold standard Ooh. of video game movies. Okay. Let's see if you can guess where this is from.
5: can okay, now it turned into a workout video.
9: That's kind of all the music in this particular soundtrack sounds... Oh, like Tron? This. You betcha.
5: Oh, yeah. My goodness. You would think that I would get the movie ones right, but it's not turning out that way at all. Very good, <laughs> Nate. Wow. Well, wait a minute. Tron or Tron Legacy?
10: Which one's the new one? Is that Tron Legacy?
9: Yep. It's the new one. Yeah, um, You got it.
10: Yeah, because this is the... Tried the to trick him. Didn't work. Daft Punk. Uh, that, well, Daft Punk did all the music for the new one.
2: Yeah. It's a
10: really good soundtrack.
2: I don't
5: play very many video games anymore. <laughs> but I do remember oh the the biggest frustration other than not getting the video game to work was having to press pause and just turn off your TV because there was no save option. <laughs> that was the worst. I'm sure my parents loved seeing their uh, you know their electric bill after that.
9: Anyway, any, any well, more forest us, I've got a cool cheat code involving taking maybe a break or a pause okay. in there. Um, let's see. So I'll play you the sound bite first. Guess the game. Oh, that's Pac-Man. Right? It is. yep. Yes. Uh-huh. It's Pac-Man.
7: Level complete. <laughs> See and that is a great game
9: on Pac-Man. There was a little place in one of the corners, next to where you start off, where if you hide there, they can't get you. Like the ghosts <gasps> will just pass right through. So if you need to go get your lunch, or if you need to go take a bathroom break, or you just need to leave with your friends and come back a, a half hour later, me. it would just they'd just keep going through you, and you could pause the game because there was that no real is pause awesome. capability. Huh.
5: So, um, wow, you know, the only thing better than Pac-Man in the arcade is four-person Pac-Man in the arcade. Have you guys ever played that? Check it out. Go to the Nickelcade, and you'll see it there. Okay. Man, I love cheats because I need as many lives as I can get because I'm
9: not very good. So this next one, if you're not very good at playing this old game, you needed to pick one particular team. I'll give you that um, hint, that little cheat for this one.
5: Okay. Oh, I've played this, I know. Oh, yeah, 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 it's on the tip of my tongue. It's Mega Man. No. Oh, it's got to be Mega Man. It's not. It's (laughs) one of the Mega Man, one of the Mega Men. (gasps) Oh. I'm seeing somebody surfing and
9: get swept up uh,
5: nope. swept up by the sea. No.
9: <laughs> so I'll give you a hint. Again, you have to pick a specific team to get the, uh, the bonus here. <sighs> it's a football game, and if you picked the what? Raiders, you would have Bo Jackson playing for you, and he was the greatest cheat code in this game because he was untackleable as fast as it could be. <laughs> I'm pretty sure
5: I heard that music in Mega Man.
9: Old, Pretty sure. Old video games might have uh, copied just... a little from each other. <laughs> all all, right, all right.
5: I'm not too happy
9: about that one. It was from Super Tech Mobile. <laughs> I I didn't play heard that, of one. that one. Yeah. I'm a sports fan. I had to include a little bit of my passion <laughs> okay. and yeah. the video games that sucked up the most of my life here. No,
10: while you were talking, I was remembering how little sports knowledge i actually have <laughs> <laughs> all right i got
9: one more okay. for you and this is maybe the most well-known shortcut or cheat in a video game
10: okay
5: i think winner takes all unless i don't get it right on this
9: one. <laughs> good yeah. plan oh i'm
5: going to defer to my guest on this one
10: As, uh, just super mario exactly <laughs> yep. but uh this so is what-
5: you have to be underground to hear this music we as kids, you know how crude kids can be. We would always put lyrics to this song, and it'd be uh, "smelly, stinky socks, smelly, stinky socks." Yeah, that's how mature we were. <laughs> but uh, and those were the only three words in the song: "smelly, stinky socks." You
9: could just repeat it over and over and over, and then and you'd and have over. to "smelly, stinky." Yeah. Anyway, well, whenever you're underground, if you complete. In the very first world, the second stage, and you kind of jump up on top, you can sneak around and get to the warp zone.
5: I do know about that. Oh,
7: yeah.
9: Uh-huh. Yeah. And you can just fast forward and shortcut all the way to world two or world three or world four, and then you can do it again. I mean, you can complete the whole game just by completing maybe five or six total stages um, just by utilizing the original shortcut in the most famous video game of all time.
5: This is bringing back so many good memories. Uh, You know, I remember having a Nintendo, a Nintendo running pad. I remember wanting the, uh, the Power Glove, which was introduced in the film The Wizard with Fred Savage, where they go to the Super Mario 3 tournament, which is also where they introduce Super Mario Brothers Part 3. Oh. Now
9: Jeff's got to show off his movie knowledge cuz he was shown up earlier in the, yes. In the game. Yes,
5: Nate, congratulations. I think you knew a little bit more than I did in that contest. And and Cole, thanks for putting that together. That was fun.
9: Yeah. Anytime.
5: Now it just makes me want to <laughs> makes me want to go home and and waste all my free time on I wouldn't say time wasted, time well spent. Yeah, it's fun. Yeah. Anyway, Nate Swinney, thank you much. Uh, thank you so much for being on Screen Cleaning on the Matt Townsend show. It's fun having you on the show. Yeah, thanks. It's a lot of fun. All right, and we're excited to see what else uh, what other video games you come up with and the bright future you have in store. So, we're going to take a break. When we come back, we are going to be speaking with our friends at BYU Sports Nation. This is Screen Cleaning on the Matt Townsend show. This is Jeff Simpson again. Today, I'll be sharing my picks for five slightly obscure Christmas films that you'll definitely want to check out. (laughs) See what I did there with the word "Yule"? will All right, never mind. Number five, while you were sleeping. Now, even though my wife is convinced I don't like this movie, there's no denying its charm and genuine humor. Sandra Bullock plays a lonely fair token collector who inherits the family she never had after she saves the life of the man of her dreams, before he slips into a coma, and is mistaken for his fiancé. Honestly, who doesn't love Sandra Bullock and Bill Pullman?
7: i see you when I see you.
5: <laughs> Though it really should be classified as a romantic comedy... The characters in the film celebrate Christmas early in the film, so it's on the list. Number 4 Shrek the Halls. Now, I'm not advocating eliminating how the Grinch stole Christmas from your holiday movie queue, but if you're experiencing Grinch burnout, you'll want to give another Green Grump a chance. This fast and funny TV short is a huge improvement over the feature-length Shrek the Third that preceded it. Many of your favorite characters from the films return to help the not-so-jolly green giant discover the true meaning of Christmas.
8: What would the perfect Christmas be without a Christmas story?
4: T'was the night before Christmas, and all through the... Number three,
5: Funny Farm. Here's another pick that's not really a Christmas movie. But if It's a Wonderful Life can go almost the entire movie before mentioning the holiday and still be called a Christmas movie, then so can this 1988 Chevy Chase comedy. The plot involves a yuppie New York couple that moves to a seemingly charming town in Vermont only to discover the town is full of curmudgeons, sickos, and psycho mailmen.
0: Is our mailman.
5: The Christmas part comes into play when Chase hires the townsfolk to stage a Norman Rockwell esque holiday to fool another yuppie couple into taking their home off their hands. This movie is one of Chevy Chase's better films, and it does a great job of capturing the magic of Christmas, even if it's just one big facade. Number two, Arthur Christmas. Not a huge hit in the United States, but then again, not every Christmas classic has been initially like my number one pick, which we'll get to in a minute. Arthur Christmas gives us a glimpse of three generations of Santas and their very different styles. Arthur is the incumbent Santa's son, who loves his job answering every piece of his father's fan mail.
2: Dear
8: Gwen, thank you for your letter and brilliant picture. Your request for a pink twinkle bike will be passed on to Santa. But when
5: Santa fails to deliver one child's present only cherubic and optimistic Arthur can save Christmas. This clever and heartwarming flick was produced by Aardman Animation, the company behind such not-to-be-missed films as Wallace and Gromit, Chicken Run, and Shaun the Sheep movie. And number one, A Christmas Story Okay, I promised I was going to stick to the slightly obscure holiday films, but this is hands-down my favorite Christmas movie ever. And it must be the favorite of millions of others, too. What other movie do you know of that airs for 24 consecutive hours on television? It's not only a great holiday film. IMO, it's one of the funniest movies ever made. No one who has seen A Christmas Story can look at the word fragile and not think of Mr. Parker's major award.
4: Fragile. It must be Italian. I think that
7: says fragile, honey.
5: And who among us can't identify with little Ralphie's Christmas wish of owning a Red Ryder carbine-action 200-shot range model air rifle with a compass in the stock and this thing which tells time?
8: You'll shoot your eye out, kid.
5: Ho, ho, ho. Maybe for you it was an easy-bake oven or a shiny new bicycle. The point is, few movies capture with such accuracy the magic of realizing your hopes and dreams no matter how trivial they may seem to an adult. From all of us here at the Matt Townsend Show, Merry Christmas. Oh, and if you do get that BB gun on the 25th, be careful. Welcome back to Screen Cleaning. It's uh, one of our favorite parts of the show when we get to speak with our good friends at BYU Sports Nation. At BYU Sports Nation, today it's Spencer Linton and Jason Shepard. And uh, I'm super excited to talk to them because we've been talking a lot about Christmas movies throughout the program today. Movies that you should definitely watch that might be a little more obscure or movies that uh, you could probably skip out on because uh, there's just way many, so many to choose from. So I'm hoping they can help us out a little bit. Spencer and Jason, how are you doing?
2: Fantastic. Excellent. Uh, we'll get to the movies in a moment, but first <gasps> I want to ask you, have we been demoted from your favorite part of the show to just one of your favorite parts of the show?
5: Whoa. Whoa. Wow. wow. this got awkward real fast. Um, <laughs> uh, Is this one of those things where like, I talk about you behind your back and then you confront me in the room and you're like, what did you say? Wow.
2: No. I, I hope I, you two don't meet in the hallways wow. today.
5: I don't talk about you behind your back. And if I do, it's all good things. Okay. Um, and I, I try to make a point of running into you at Costco as much as possible. Yes. Uh, I'm going there today at 12.45 if you guys want to run into me again.
2: You going to eat lunch? Uh, I don't know. We're we'll going do to do a the hot shop dog here. and a slice of pizza. Can't beat it. $1.50, <laughs> man. You can't beat it. All right.
5: Uh, okay, about the movies now. So now that you've made me feel bad. Um, yes. So earlier on in the show, we, we shared a list of Christmas mil- Christmas movies that you could probably skip. So I'm curious to know if you guys know of any Christmas movies that you think people could probably skip.
2: Oh boy. Uh isn't there a Home Alone 3?
5: There is also a Home Alone Four. Is there really? Oh yeah.
2: Yeah, I would say you can skip Home Alone Three and Four.
5: Home Alone Four with French Stewart of Third Rock from the Sun <laughs> fame.
2: Oh yes. Get him out. Where is French Stewart Shut it these down. Days? Yeah,
5: you don't see him much these days. I wonder if well, French
2: Stewart is, is turned into French Montana. Home Alone 4 was his exit door. Yeah, yeah.
5: <laughs> okay, so you got Home Alone 3. Anything else that we to should skip?
2: skip? I don't know. I mean, I, I choose to watch. I mean, I, I only watch the the good ones. I, I don't uh, I don't know. The Hallmark Channel from uh, like, Thanksgiving to Christmas? Yeah, that's everything on the Hallmark <laughs> Channel right now. <laughs> wow. I, I kid, I kid. All of like the my C-list actors and my actresses? loves that stuff.
5: So uh, we – it's coming up on on another show. I think I've told you about this before where we do a segment called Silver Lining Cinema. And we're doing a Christmas edition of of these now. And Cole and I are going to be watching a film for next week. He's going to be watching Santa's Little Helper. And Cole, what's the name of that wrestler that uh, is in that film? The Miz.
2: Oh, yeah.
5: So he'll be watching that. And bet you're
2: super excited for that, Cole.
5: Oh, you know it. These were randomly selected, but I bring them up because they're both uh, starring athletes. The film that I will be watching for the Silver Lining Cinema segment, where we try to find the good in these movies that most people would just consider unwatchable. Okay. Um, My film is Santa with Muscles, starring Hulk Hogan. (laughs) What? (laughs)
2: Wow. I've never... (laughs) I have never even heard of either of those.
1: Okay.
5: Well, I mean, if you want to chime in and put your two cents in, we're going to be watching those for next Friday. So okay. you, can, you can give us one little nugget of a positive review of either Santa's Little Helper or uh, Santa with Muscles, which you can watch for free on YouTube.
2: Yeah, I'm going to take a hard pass on both Santa of Santa <laughs>
5: with
7: Muscles.
2: Uh, wow. But, See, I, but I will say this, okay? Everybody knows White Christmas— the cult classic, right? Yes. It's incredible. Irving Berlin, Bing Crosby, Danny Kaye, like and Never a, Saw ma- it. You've Jason. And I've never <laughs> seen Miracle on 34th Street. Either. Jason. <laughs> and I'm fine with it. I'm perfectly fine with it. Uh, when did you become the Grinch, dude? No, I'm not the Grinch. I just oh, I just have never Grinch. seen either of those movies. Okay, that's not even my point. Okay. Now, so, now yes, you Jason, guys just
5: you, made it awkward amongst yourselves there. You
2: need to watch White Christmas. I'll okay. give you a pass on Miracle on 34th Street, whatever. Okay. You need to watch White Christmas. I've seen uh, Mr. Kruger's Christmas like a hundred times. Okay. White <laughs> Christmas is a little bit more entertaining than that. Okay. okay. Many people have not seen the movie Holiday Inn. Have <gasps> you seen the movie Holiday Inn, Jeff?
5: I have not, and I think Cole's going to be talking about Holiday Inn here in just a second. I've
9: already chastised him for it today, but is we can get another one in movie? there.
2: No, it's, <laughs> I think, early 40s, oh, maybe wow, late 40s. It's so good. Is it not so good, Cole? It is so good.
5: Okay, I've already put it on my reserve list at the BYU library. As of today. Yes. (laughs)
2: Yes. Okay,
5: so that's That's what's... real cinema. (laughs) That's what's coming up on our show next week. I want to hear what's coming up on your show in just about uh, six minutes and 30 seconds.
2: Imagine yourself on the New York Stock Exchange of BYU basketball.
5: Ooh. You have...
2: Been given unlimited funds to go and invest in whichever BYU sport you want, but specifically are asking what people's buy-in level is for BYU basketball after recent success. Mm. If they're on the NCAA basketball stock exchange, what's your buy-in level for BYU right now, given the recent success?
5: Uh, considering I know nothing about the stock exchange, is uh, high high low? Apples, <laughs> I, oranges, I low sell high. Yeah.
2: bears and and bulls and buy low, sell high. Now here's the thing. BYU stock is rising, but it's not anywhere near what it could be, but it has risen. The price has risen because of what they did in Brooklyn, in New York no less, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and against Utah Valley on Wednesday night. Uh-huh. Okay. We'll have Steve Cleveland. On the phone today, we'll talk to him about this BYU basketball team, get his thoughts on it. We will also have Dennis Pitta on the show, former BYU tight end. We'll get his thoughts on the uh, relinquishing of duties of Ty Detmer. Get his thoughts on the new OC. Yes, and is BYU football scheduling too tough? Hmm. Because they added three series. And really none of the names that they scheduled yesterday jump off the page as world beaters in college football. However, when you add Houston... To the 2020 schedule, Jeff, Whoa. it is loaded. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to read you, the names, okay?
5: You're, wait, you're not even allowed to say the word Houston, okay? Okay. You cannot say Houston oh, on the no, show. Oh, sorry. I see.
2: Dodgers. Okay. Oh, the Astros. Oh, oh sorry. I yeah, took it even bad. one step further. I apologize. <laughs> okay. I'm, I'm going I'm to read the games, and you tell me too tough or not Michigan State, Utah State, uh, that H-Town, Missouri, San Diego State, Arizona State, Minnesota, Boise State, Stanford, Northern Illinois, Utah. This is all in one season?
5: Uh I'm gonna say Boise and Michigan State, too tough.
2: See, there are probably five or six games that really scare people on that schedule. Wow. Anyway, all for fodder today on a Friday.
5: Well, that sounds like a fantastic show.
2: Of course it is, Jeff. Which
5: from, is why this is your favorite part of the from show. From the favorite part of my show on my show um and uh so here's your assignment for next week just go to youtube and look up santa with muscles and i'll be expecting a, a positive review from you
2: okay i'm gonna look that up right now
5: okay
1: do
2: slip oh yeah
5: that's macho man randy savage I know. okay i know wow see what that is it,
2: christmas with muscles
5: No, Santa with Muscles. Santa with
2: Muscles.
5: (laughs) Although Christmas with Muscles would have been a better title in my opinion. Yes. Yes. All right. Thanks, guys. Have a great show. Wow. Okay, Cole. So they gave a little preview of what you're going to be sharing with us right now, which is a couple of picks for – Maybe some more obscure films that people don't really talk about as much that we should check out.
9: It's true. I like Holiday Inn more than I like White Christmas. And it's the movie where the White Christmas song debuted. When you think of Bing Crosby sitting at a piano, Mm. using his pipe to hit the bells on the Christmas tree, that's from the Holiday Inn. Can I share
5: a quick text with you? Absolutely. From my wife. Go ahead. We've seen Holiday Inn. We couldn 't finish it, we were so bored. now she 's got Aww. to be talking about a different movie. I know she, there, this cannot be the film that we started and couldn't finish, so uh, yeah it's black and it.
9: white it 's 1942 right. It starts off at Christmas time, and Bing Crosby decides that he 's had enough of the the high glamour and, and his entertainment lifestyle in New York and he goes and buys this inn in the middle of nowhere with the idea that he 's sick of having to work. Um, on Christmas and so he wants to take off the holidays but he realizes as any farmer will tell you you actually have to work every day when you're a farmer but you can still make it magical and fun and so he decides to turn the inn into a place where you only work on holidays he picks like 20 days out of the year and hosts parties on just those days it starts at Christmas it ends at Christmas it gets all the holidays in between it's a great movie okay I'm gonna check it out
5: I know my wife can't be right on this And I know I'm going to hear about that statement later. And uh, we appreciate your time here on Screen Cleaning. We're here every Friday, and we'll be back next Friday to talk about Santa's Little Helper and Santa with Muscles. BYU Sports Nation is up next.